Attention Talking Simpsons listeners, we have a special mini-series just for you. We're going through the entire first season of King of the Hill, and you can only hear it if you're a $5 and up patron at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. We're giving the Talking Simpsons treatment to all 13 episodes of King of the Hill's first season, and if you want a free sample, you'll find the first episode available for free in the Talking Simpsons feed. Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. It's the only place you'll find the first season of Talk King of the Hill. Made you go click, 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 click. It's real easy, man. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy, hoy, everybody. Welcome to Talking Simpsons, where unexplained fires are a matter for the courts. I'm your host, the truth-spewing Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who is here with me today? Henry Gilbert, and I get jokes. <laughs> and who do we have on the line? Ian Boothby, and i got to ask, uh, why now? Why not 20 years ago? <laughs> and today's episode is The Last Temptation of Crust. Oh, you're both way overdue for a spurt. <laughs> Overdue for a spurt. That should have been my intro. The overdue for a spurt, Bob Mackey. Uh, today's episode aired on February 22nd, 1998. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, boy, Bobby. The Nagano Olympics reach their ending point. Indy songstress Tori Amos gets married. And El Nino causes some dangerous tornadoes in Florida. All I know about El Nino is the sketch in which Chris Farley played him. Uh, which is Spanish for the Nino. Out of his mind on goofballs at yeah, the time. Goofballs. R.I.P. Um, yeah, Ric Flair was there with him in that one, too, I believe, wow. as he gave that speech. Yeah, yeah. It's sad to think that El Nino outlived Chris Farley. Oh, that's sad. Well, uh, I made Nino, everyone sad. El Nino will be here forever. So there, true. there's that. Yeah, the, uh, I had never heard of Nagano or Nagano, or as uh, I believe that's the way we were all pronouncing it then. Uh, those Winter Olympics. I think that was the first Winter Olympics I actually paid attention to. I only know them based on the video games that came out. So yes, there was yeah. a 98 <laughs> video game about Nagano. Uh, well, actually, I do. I mean, I paid attention to the 94 Winter Olympics because that had Tanya Harding thing in it. But I don't remember where they were. And uh, for guys like me, Tori Amos was the favorite singer of everyone you loved in high school. <laughs> uh, it uh, Once you saw the girl wearing a Tori Amos t-shirt, you're like, all right, crush city. <laughs> Set phasers to kill. <laughs> we, uh, uh, we had actually a Winter Olympics here in Vancouver and uh, did not have any snow. And uh, that was a little bit of a problem for us. We had to import snow. We, we didn't really plan the uh, Olympics very well in advance. I've been to Vancouver twice now and I've walked around the, the Olympics ruins to see all of the uh, the fallen towers of the Olympics and the giant yeah the weird thing that is El Nino that did that just by coincidence it was a very busy time and I saw the giant uh, teardrop is it like what did they make is it a water drop or is that uh, always yeah. there it's giant uh, rain that's right that's what it is rain. It, it means the city has killed one person in prison that's, uh, that's <laughs> uh, so uh, Vancouver's mascot is rain but it did El Nino was like the joke became, why did this thing happen in the weather, or why is this weird? And people would just say, well, it's that El Nino. El Ni it just became the, uh, the it was like the bird flu of the month <laughs> or so, that El Nino. If you, if you lived through the 90s, you had to hear about El Nino as an excuse, which is a weather effect that also means the, the Nino. There now were the uh, several the bad jokes about it. I remember the trailer to uh, Jane Austen's Mafia, Ugh. where uh, Jay Moore blames getting his head flushed in the toilet on El Nino. 
Nino. He comes out dripping wet. He's like, El Nino. Am I right? Oh, boy. Uh, hey, thanks for reminding me of that movie. I never saw the actual movie. I just remember the trailer. Uh, but in happier news, uh, our special guest today is Ian Boothby. So Ian is of the podcast Sneaky Dragon, but he's also the writer of comics like Exorcisters and the comic Sparks, which former guest Nina Matsumoto is the artist of. Hello, Ian. Hey, it's nice to be here. A big fan of the show. Thank you. Hey. And you have a, a rich and storied comedy background. Number one, I cannot let this go because I have to mention <laughs> it. Uh, as soon as I told Nina we were about to record with you, <laughs> she told me, she said, wow, the guy from Happy Gilmore. Um, <laughs> so I know you're, I, you, you're more proud of other things you've done, but you are in Happy Gilmore, and I really want you to lead with that because after well, she told... Well, first of all, you're wrong. I'm, I'm proudest of Happy Gilmore. I'm oh, like, okay. Uh, you know, including my marriage. Yes, Happy Gilmore is definitely number one if only we could all be in happy gilmore <laughs> but uh so nina told me you're in it and i did believe her and she showed me the clip and then later i saw it again so it's confirmed ian <laughs> is in happy gilmore ian can you explain the circumstances and also how your comedy career led you there okay well first of all uh, something something that i am proud of is roger ebert hated that movie like really really hated that movie and the scene he hated the most in that movie was the scene that i was in Oh my so, god! Uh, yeah, a real double down on that because what it was was an ad for Subway, just a straight out ad for Subway in the middle of a movie. It just stops the movie cold, and uh, and yeah, uh, I get happy uh, golf's a sub sandwich into my mouth, and uh, <laughs> then I then I eat it. So it was a it was an afternoon of having a sub sandwich in my mouth on a fishing line that they would just <laughs> yank out, and we'd have to like then reverse it so it looked like it was going into my mouth. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting uh, afternoon. Somewhat painful. What kind of sub was it? Did you have your choice of filling? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I'll tell you. No, it was a cold <laughs> cut combo that was uh, that was acknowledged in the continuity. It was set up. Oh in yeah. The, you know, and then uh, I, I eat a cold cut combo every day. He says, uh, smash cut to the hilarious subway scene. So you're part uh, of the next wave of product placement. You're a pioneer. You were the first I, one. It was really pretty, pretty damn blatant. Yeah, that's that's right. And uh, that... I got I got the role because uh, Will Sasso got the role I originally auditioned for, who went on to Mad TV and many other things, and is a really sweet guy. But uh, yeah, they just came and saw me do some improv and 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 liked my look, and I guess they went, "That guy's fat enough to eat a sandwich." <laughs> and uh, then uh, I, we could shove something in his mouth and pull it out about. Uh, 50 times in an afternoon and he'd probably be okay with that and I was <laughs> every so often I get a hundred dollar check in the mail and I go that's eh, pretty good that is nice I mean I lived my entire life and Roger Ebert never acknowledged me once <laughs> so I feel like that's a great achievement to have because I yeah. love Roger Ebert me too very much so yeah I, <laughs> I saw Happy Gilmore in theaters I was a 14 13 year old when that came out so the perfect age and I I still think that is my favorite Adam Sandler movie actually I think it's his funniest but that scene made me laugh in the theater uh, because the joke I I knew I was having a commercial given to me but the joke was about how corny it was but mm -hmm. it's it still is a commercial so it's a fun it's a fun line of like no you're ironically watching a non-ironic commercial for subway while then, cashing the check unironically from yeah. subway which is fine absolutely fine it's kind of the mike myers and wayne's world thing and it's it's everything's fine it's capitalism the system works it's system it's, works. it's okay and subway would be going to be a major player in the movie industry i remember seeing wreck it ralph mm -hmm. and there's like subway mm -hmm. things all over that movie yeah or in community they did a great job with it by just making mm. up a character named Subway. That's who right. Was, just lived with them. A human owned by a 
company in some way seemingly was like, no, that's fine. It's fine that you're a, a human owned by a company. <laughs> uh, but, but Ian, also you have quite a history with the Simpsons, don't you? Uh, yeah, I wrote for Simpsons and Futurama comics, uh, until Bongo just wrapped up, uh, last year. I was working with them for about, uh, almost 20 years. Yeah. My goodness. I, I remember just the volume of your work came through to me when there was a viral tweet somebody had of just a screen cap of, uh, f- of a panel from the Futurama Simpsons crossover of a story of like Skinner. It was this panel of Skinner hiring Fry <laughs> because uh, Edna was out sick from eating too many steamed hams. And then <laughs> our mutual friend Nina was like, Ian, didn't you write this? And you're like, yeah, that was me. That's my, that's my panel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the first Futurama Simpsons crossover, and that was back when Matt did not want to do one because they uh, logically uh, they weren't in the same universe, mm, and that was true. a big thing. Was like the Simpsons is a TV show in the Futurama universe, and the reverse sometimes seemed to be true as well. And then I came up with a way of uh, making it all work logically, and uh, we pitched it to him. He was all down for it. And then many years later, they did a crossover on TV and went, "Yeah, it's in the same universe. It's just in the future." So ah, there you go. Uh, Man, so many questions. Like, well, you worked with Matt Groening then a lot, then I would guess, since he, oh, he, Bongo was his company. That's right. Yeah. He wanted, like, the example I always use is when I was a kid, I used to read cartoon comics, like, say, Roadrunner. But, like, while I was a fan of the Roadrunner cartoon, and in the cartoon, Roadrunner would, you know, be chased by the coyote. In the uh, comic, uh, he was a single dad raising three kids. They all <laughs> talked in rhyme. And it was like, mm. what? what the hell is this? And, uh, and Matt wanted to make the Simpsons comic like the Simpsons. And the only way to kind of do that was to run things himself and oversee everything, at least for the very, from the start he did less so later on, but always kept an eye on things to make sure hopefully the tone was, uh, in keeping with the show and not just giving it to someone and letting them do their own thing. One, like, what was your, what were some of your favorite stories you wrote? Like, did you, and did you like going into the Simpsons history from the show and then like finding new stories with that yeah i mean something like i always liked writing for lisa because i think Mm. she's the sweetest character so there was one where it looked like ralph wasn't going to move on uh in in class and they had to find a way to uh, she had to find a way to reach him as a teacher the thing was to me ralph the one kind of angle on ralph that people always forget is he's an amazing actor with an amazing memory like he uh, he's he i picture him in the future actually being losing all the weight being a pretty dumb pretty boy actor and doing quite well for himself i think the show forgot that he acted once and did <laughs> yeah, a great and he was job great he was heartbreaking people were to tears so uh my thing was he uh he's very creative he likes making his own stuff and he likes watching tv and he can memorize anything that's on tv so uh she actually does a little tv show in the in the classroom and he's able to uh you know actually absorb the information because it's on television and you know dumb people like television and can absorb <laughs> television so she reaches them that way that's such a sweet story to do that with yeah. ralph who's usually just like the one-off non-sequitur joke machine that's, that's yeah that's sweet. the thing that kind of makes me sad about when they use Ralph is they've really gotten into kind of the bully side of things where, you know, he's, uh, you know, 
it's it's weird. It, it seems like they're doing a bunch of mentally challenged jokes, and it's like, is that really you know what what you want to be doing with, with with the show? You know, it's it's fun to do like one or two, whatever, but you got to undercut it with a bit of the sweetness there, and uh, and 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 cut that guy a break. So uh, I like writing for Ralph. I like writing for Lisa, and uh, I like writing oddly enough for Artie Ziff. I always found that character huh. to be kind of interesting because hmm, he's a rich guy that envies the Simpsons and the life that they have. So I uh, once again there was a, a story we did where. Uh, Everyone seems to forget that Marge has a gambling problem. <laughs> and so I got her addicted to eBay and selling things on eBay and already buys basically everything The Simpsons has. And they've got to then get it back. And they do that by doing a trivia contest about The Simpsons, which The Simpsons actually don't know enough about themselves, but Artie is a super fan. <laughs> so it's a little riff on that. Uh, but the one thing that Artie couldn't get is what it feels like to be in the Simpsons family. And oh. uh, Homer does a kind of sweet response to that and it's like then gets all the stuff back. But you also yeah. have quite a history of uh, performing comedically on stage through both improv and stand-up. Even today, uh, I want to know like how this episode connects to you because I did, did Ian choose this one or did we choose it for him? Oh, this, I know it's been in the works for a while. It was a suggestion from Nino. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, while ago, like, oh, we gotta, we gotta have Ian on with his background. So yeah, it was a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah the time period that they're uh, doing this, I was actually doing quite a bit of stand-up. Hmm. And it's definitely a tribute to Bill Hicks and that sort of comedian. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I did relate to this uh, episode and uh, and uh, have have some opinions on it. But yeah, I've done stand up and I've done improv uh, since I was uh, about sixteen. Wow, that's uh, and 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 is there a, there must be a pretty healthy comedy scene in Vancouver then too? Yeah, it's uh, it's healthy not financially. Uh, that's one thing I'm very envious of in Springfield is do you have an open mic night and people show up and like this is a great town. Oh my gosh, you <laughs> packed Moe's. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good town to practice and then leave. You, but you've got to leave, and a lot of people don't make that next step of like you've got to then get out of here and uh, and and go see the rest of the world and get to the states. Or at least another major city because uh you know that's the problem sometimes with uh with people is they they stay in their hometown and then they're the best person in their hometown which is which is just fine but there's a whole world out there to do uh, to do stuff in I really I really respect like stand-ups and improv people now more than ever because Henry and I now do live shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea of working without a net, which is what they do, mm -hmm. is terrifying because I think we do a pretty good job, Henry, on stage. We get a lot of laughs, but yeah. also I've got like, I have jokes written down I can default I'm to. I'm sitting down, I have a screen in front of yeah. me, I can play clips. And well, if things get messy, just like, oh, watch the clip, watch the clip. <laughs> well, also when we did our last live show at Sketchfest and we had, you know, our, our friends of the show, Allie and Julia from every Everything's Coming Up Simpsons, they are trained improvisers, professionals at it, and they were pretty cool about the show it was about to start, but I, I especially was like, all right, show just an hour away. Let's just uh, walk back and forth. I'm sure this hour will pass. I'm the same way. The yeah. worst time in my life is like an hour before a live show. <laughs> yeah, and then the no best... one stops pacing. Everyone paces, bathroom break, pace, pace, pace. Bathroom break, yeah. No, that's 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 completely the case. And we've done Sketchfest as well, me and a sketch comedy group of mine called Canadian Content. And the nice thing about Sketchfest is people are there to see you, or at least even if, like, we were opening for Bruce McCullough, so they weren't necessarily there to see us, but they were there to see comedy at least. And the worst things are when you go to, like, a bar where they don't know you're going to do comedy and you surprise them with it, and uh, that is not fun. I've done a, We've done a surprise podcast in a, in, a, in a place once, too, and that's like, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have done... Uh... Uh, performances and venues where half the people are there for our show but the other half they're just there to drink and eat and it's yes. just like yeah. I'm talking about Camp Krusty 
but a couple in their 60s is eight feet away. Do yeah. they even know what's happening? Talking to each other, yeah. almost blocking our like video, too. <laughs> oh, that was good times. Yeah. yeah, just imagine you're in a bar, and then a Fibber McGee and Molly podcast breaks out. How would you feel? That's <laughs> basically how they feel. I'm always waiting that. for that to happen, frankly. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I also have, me and Bob are giant comedy nerds, but I got even more respect for stand-up when like me and a friend decided, what if we took some stand-up classes? You know, it's a dream. We always, because when you're a dumb kid who talks to all your friends, you're like, I'm funny. I could be a stand-up. And you, I had had that dream for a while. And then when I just took a few classes, I was like, this sucks. This is hard. <laughs> I think I was constantly thinking of the Lisa line from Secret War, <laughs> Secret yeah. War of Lisa Simpson, where she says, yes, a challenge I could do. Like, that's how I felt. This was not instantly easy for me. Doing it for three months gave me an insane amount of respect for even bad comedians because <laughs> I was like, you have to say the same shit over and over again and make it sound fresh and like you're doing it just off the cuff, which also means people think you didn't even work that hard because you're trying to act like you're not repeating a thing you've said a million times and unlike uh, say you're practicing piano you don't get to rehearse at home you have to it's like every time you play your instrument you've got to do it in front of a crowd just imagine that that's what stand-up is mm. like every time so you've got to like i say eat shit for years on stage there's no other way around it you're gonna stink for years until it starts to get good and that's uh oh boy if you can do that uh good on you it's great it's great if you can and uh, i do love doing stand-up but uh yeah it's it's one of the hardest things and uh yeah this episode too i loved it at the time because i was just starting to become a real stand-up comedy nerd like in in 98 when this aired i was definitely watching comedy central all the time Me and too. would see stand-ups but just the era of premium blend yes yeah <laughs> yeah but it wouldn't be when i i would actually be by 2002 was when I would really get deeper into stand-up when I got to know like the comedians of comedy type dudes of Patton yeah. Oswalt, Brian yeah. Hussain, David Cross, that the, the quote-unquote alt comics. Yes, yeah. yeah. They got me back into comedy because I was, I toured uh, doing comedy and I had an incident where it was going so badly and I thought that the person I was working with literally died in our <laughs> hotel room. They they, oh, they fell asleep with their eyes open and they I thought that they were dead because of like their hard living. And, wow. uh, and and for a beat, I went like, good, good. The tour is <laughs> over. This gets me out of it. And, I went, and then I was like, oh, boy, that's not healthy. I quit. <laughs> so I quit for a number of years. And I saw the comedians of comedy and went to the, hey, you can actually do this and not be a jerk. You can do smart material. This was all very, all of them were very different. Zach Galifianakis at the time was hanging around Vancouver doing a TV show. And yeah, it was it was great. And and they got me back into doing it again. I've always, I've always loved those guys. Yeah, there's definitely a space for that kind of comedy now. And even people like uh, Dana Gould, like he wrote for The Simpsons and got out of stand-up for about five years. Mm. And now he is uh, stand-up as his life. That's his job now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it was it's interesting to see Simpsons engage with stand-up too in the season nine episode because the writers on the show in general are Harvard writers, or at the least high uh, Ivy League guys who didn't do stand-up. They there are there are different ways to get into comedy, and they did it purely as a writer, which also means like you're a different type of 
comedian, even if you like stand-up comics, you don't really understand it. Well, meanwhile, Mike Scully came from a total stand-up background with a new mm-hmm. respect for it. And so, or a different respect for it than I think the other writers have for the art. And so once he gets in charge, he starts doing some, he's, he does an episode about stand-up comedy is not surprising to me, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, the weird thing about this is it's almost like when you have a musical and then in the musical where everyone just spontaneously sings, you have a character who says, I want to be a singer. And you go, okay, in this universe, what is that? Do they not know (laughs) they're singing and this singing is a different singing? And so it's weird in this where I'm going to go to a comedy show in a universe where everything is comedy. And that's a a real trick. Yeah. Whenever you see see a sitcom and they have a comedy club, it's a terrible scene because everyone's cracking jokes constantly. So what does the comic do? I was actually going to ask you that, Ian, because like that is a challenge uh, to write things that are funny to the characters in the context of a scene. I actually think Krusty's material is not funny. Mm. The things they want you to think are funny are not funny because it's not fun to watch a character tell a joke and then see other people laugh at it. It's <laughs> funny just to just watch the characters be funny. Mm-hmm. It felt when I was watching this that they did not like Janine Garofalo because they don't give her any jokes to do like everyone else Stephen Wright is definitely doing a Stephen Wright type joke uh, you don't really get to see Bobcat Goldthwait do too much uh, but everyone's doing the material that they would sort of do except Janine Garofalo who is at best doing setups to jokes and never uh, anything in any way really funny and it's like that's it that was just an odd uh, odd odd choice uh, to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I'll just say it now. I'm saving it for the clip. But when mm. I think with Garofalo, it feels like that they wanted to have a hip young comic and also a woman. And so they just picked her. But I don't think she's doing her own material. I yeah. think they wrote it for her. And I think it says something about the writers of the show at the time where they're like, well, I don't know, what's an alt girl say? She says she has her period. She says she kisses That's exactly boys. It. Yeah, like, it feels yeah. like older guys writing for a younger woman and in not a not a pleasant way to me. It was it was mm-hmm. a bit it was a bit off putting her scenes. Yeah, where this... I'd like I'd like to have seen maybe her and and again, this is me the writer going like, oh, her and Lisa would have been interesting because they're both political they're both smart she could have been inspired by her there's something there's there's definitely something there yeah uh, but no she just is kind of mean and uh and just does setups and uh there you go that's her yeah uh well i mean we'll get to it but i feel like jay leno really hogs the spotlight this feels like a sequel <laughs> to crusty gets canceled mm-hmm. but with fewer characters who get less uh fun like yeah uh crusty gets canceled has more famous people and they each get uh longer bits and, and funnier bits like uh bruce Baum might as well not even be in this episode bobcat <laughs> goldthwait too like just shouldn't even be here because he gets like one thing to say and that's mm. basically it. And there are some cut scenes with the other characters in them, but they're also not very long. Like Jay Leno gets all of the jokes, gets yeah. all of the screen time. And I know why, like Jay Leno was doing very well in late night. This is post uh, Hugh Grant appearance, like mm-hmm. kicking Letterman's ass. But even at the time, it was understood like Jay Leno is lame. Homer says, when Bart says, watch me on Conan O'Brien, he says, I'm all laughed out after Leno. Yeah. Like it's understood <laughs> that Homer has a bad sense of humor. So it was weird to see him on The Simpsons and The Simpsons like thinking highly of him, but also knowing like he is lame. But then there's another understanding where comedians are like Jay Leno is the comedian's comedian. He's one of the best. He sold out by getting a talk show. But when he was a comic, man, he nothing could stop him. Yeah, I'm trying. I was the whole time I was trying to deconstruct why Leno is here. And I think there's there are multiple levels to it. Like for Scully's generation, Jay Leno 
was one of the most respected comics around from yeah. the 70s to his time yeah. taking over The Tonight Show. One of the top. There's this really great book on the history of 70s stand-up called, American stand-up called, I'm Dying Up Here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And in that, the stories they tell about Jay Leno is like, this guy sounds great. Like, he he didn't cross a picket line. He sounds like he's always ready to write new material. He's an incredibly great worker. And one of the few, like, non-drunk like drunk jerks described in it either. He survived that Pat Morita movie he did. <laughs> but, but, yeah, then... By 92, he was seen as the uncool guy who took David Letterman's show from him. And the Simpsons, like in David Merkin's years, they were firmly on Letterman's side. They did not like Jay Leno. Jay Leno's lame and not funny. And a lot of those guys came from Letterman. Like Letterman, Mm -hmm. to me, it seems like was the first Harvard writer farm. Where yes, like everyone yeah. came from Harvard, the head writer was sure. from Harvard. It was where everyone filtered down to the Simpsons from David Letterman. And so I do wonder with Leno in this, like Mike Scully in his years with guest stars, he definitely went for fame that would help raise ratings or get notoriety, which Jane Leno would definitely do more so than if they got like a less, oh, like uh, a Don Rickles type or a Rodney Dangerfield in 1996, like this, sure. they did. I think he didn't know if they're, if you listen to the commentary, I think he still is like, were you guys making fun of me? Like, <laughs> does was this just a trick on old Jay Leno to ask me to be on your cool show? Well, also on the commentary, he just steamrolls everybody. Like, yeah. he's, he's yeah. Jay Leno's a big personality. I, I understand. I will say he is funny in this episode. Like, mm-hmm. I like his lines. I like his deliveries. I think he is a funny character on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if now they'd even be meaner because of you know uh, how he screwed over Conan, I and of course Conan's from The Simpsons. Feels like there'd be a little family loyalty. Maybe maybe have like you know the claw out a little bit more now. One million percent they would. Absolutely. I, I like my th- my theory on it actually is that uh, if uh, if it wasn't for that whole Jay Leno going back and taking The Tonight Show back, we wouldn't have Trump because it was uh, it was America learning, oh, you can just go backwards if you want to. <laughs> you can just like stop progressing. I like ah, I like this theory, nice. but I also hate it because it's yeah, true. Yeah. I, yeah. And also, man, I think uh, Mike Scully as showrunner basis a little on his experience writing for Yakov Smirnoff. And, oh, like, yeah. Yakov sure probably went through if he has any soul <laughs> that he would have gone through what Krusty did of like oh I thought I was an artist I'm a sellout like that's what I, I'm just a hack or also his realization he probably had at some point of like my peers don't respect me I'm a joke like that yeah I mean uh, we'll get to it but like Krusty very much fashions himself after George Carlin and we are right after George Carlin had a Fox sitcom run by Sam Simon so I feel mm-hmm. like that's when Carlin fans were like Carlin sold out he's on a Fox sitcom he plays a curmudgeonly old man who learns lessons like this is it for him but thankfully uh, that period for him i remember liking that show by the way and i'm sure it's yeah. fine but that was not a long period for him but i bet that's when people saw like oh it's done for carlin uh oh and also on the commentary jay leno reveals the real reason he did the show his wife mavis is a huge simpsons uh, fan so yeah. it all, mavis. with lennis with leno it always comes back to mavis yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's uh, the mayoress of the tonight show <laughs> Uh, and that is the one pro Leno thing I've got to throw in is like he always does that thing about how I've never spent any of my or my own money, you know, that I made on the Tonight Show, and whatever. But the money does go to a lot of charities his wife, you know, uh, knows about and works with. And there's there's an astounding amount of money he gives to women's rights organizations and what have you. So that's my pro Jay Leno side of things. That's and, good. That's good. Know. I mean, of Jay Leno right now, um, I have less respect for him even now because he's kind of a co-star on tim allen's last man standing like he, oh, yeah. he he appears in multiple episodes in his 
full denim costume. And I mean, that show, it's the conservative grievance show. It's really just for men in their 50s and 60s to whine about kids. That's what the show is. And it's very popular. Like, I can't deny its popularity. The silliest thing about the show to me is that Tim Allen and Jay Leno have been famous for 30 to 40 years, have been rich that long too, and have absolutely no idea what a regular guy is. (laughs) So when they put on their fucking denim, they're like, I'm going to be the regular guy telling it like it is to all these snowflakes. I'm like, you're not normal. It's just like Krusty. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. That's that's when your (laughs) butler fucks up yet again. (laughs) The Simpsons will be right back. Stop flapping that dicky and say thank you to Ian Boothby for being our guest this week. We thank him so much for sharing with us his wealth of experience in the comedy world and his stories from working on films like Happy Gilmore. We really did appreciate it. And everyone should check out his Twitter account, all of his comics, all the work he's doing, tons of great stuff. Thank you so much, Ian, for doing this week's episode. And if you love to laugh and want to hear some more comedy, you should be signing up at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Members, they at the $5 and up level get to hear every episode of Talking Simpsons a week ahead of time and ad free and the same goes for our sister podcast What a Cartoon you'll get to hear both of those one week early each time if you sign up at the $5 and up level and that is only the beginning do you want to hear interviews with tons of people who have worked on the Simpsons including Mike Scully Dan Graney Bill Oakley Josh Weinstein David Silverman Mark Kirkland and so 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 many more you'll learn all about that if you sign up at patreon.com slash talking simpsons and you'll also get more exclusives our newest mini series talk king of the hill where me and bob give the same talking simpsons treatment to the entire first season of king of the hill we're having a ton of fun there you can only hear it if you're a member at patreon.com slash talking simpsons please sign up today help me and bob pay our rent and get our food all that stuff and you get tons for it as well one more time patreon.com slash talking simpsons This is the Country Fried Podcast endorsed by a clown, and we thank you for listening to it. If you want to get the most Canyon Arrow-sized bang for your buck, you should be signing up at the $10 and up level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. Those premium subscribers get access to our monthly What a Cartoon Movie. We have done so many so far, and you get to hear all of them if you sign up at that level. I'm talking about a goofy movie. I'm talking about Kiki's Delivery Service. I'm talking about Akira, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, The Secret of Nim, and our newest one, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We talk for over three hours on all of those, and you can only hear them if you sign up at the $10 and up level. It's a premium podcast for premium folks, and we definitely make sure it's worth your money. Just sign up at the $10 and up level, patreon.com slash talking Simpson. And I think this episode also has some interesting things to say about how comedy can age and age poorly. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really, you know, this has a lot of things to say about stand-up, which I, I really like. I, But I guess why don't we get into the episode itself? With all this stand-up talk, we really are overlooking the importance of shoes. Oh, God. <laughs> this is a perfect chance to get you kids some nice church shoes. Mm-hmm. 
made church shoes for? Jesus wore sandals. Well, maybe if he had better arch support, they wouldn't have caught him. <laughs> Look, Homer, there's that bird you like to argue with. Well, 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 if it isn't <laughs> Professor Know-It-All. Excuse me, Marge. They need a good, stiff, all-purpose dress shoe. Something for church, but also for doctor's appointments, dental checkups, piano recitals, building dedications, <laughs> visiting elderly relatives, haircuts, and shoe shopping. Well, we have a brown shoe. Did you hear that, kids? Brown! <laughs> I remember the nightmare of boredom that was shoe shopping and also uh, your mom always like trying to find where your toe was like push your toe up just like <laughs> these shoes have got to last you for a year at least we were poor so that's yeah. why I'm not sure if that was everyone's experience yeah but, uh, they remember how bad it was trying on any kind of clothes when you were a kid I hate and all of it I order shoes only through the mail I never go to a shoe store again I hate it so I do much. that now because I just buy the same pair of shoes over and over yeah that's it yeah they and, they do a, and they do a parody there of uh, Buster Brown with a goodie uh Goody New Shoes, oh, which, yes. was a, which was a, a, a shoe store when I was a kid that I then found out was based on a comic strip that no one remembered anymore. Like, That's... it's so unremembered. There are no collections about it. Try to find a Buster Brown collection of uh, old comic strips. But yeah, <laughs> he was a rebellious kind of the Bart Simpson of his day, to, to be honest. He was like and, the little, uh, uh, like the upgrade of Little Lord Fauntleroy or whatever. <laughs> a little bit, but he was a bit of a badass fop. Uh, yes, badass foppy fop. kid. With a kid, with a dog, you know, gets into all sorts of mischief, and and then he uh, sold sold out to a shoe company. So it works with the theme of this, or me selling out to Subway, and uh, that's how we're beginning the episode. I recall that he had a dog. So this is not uh, very important, but uh, I had a great grandfather who was alive when I was very young. I was told his name was Grandpa Butt. What? <laughs> what? Wow. Grandpa Butt. <laughs> And I was just like, well, that's an odd name as a four-year-old. Like, why do they call him Grandpa Butt? Oh, when he was a kid, he looked like Buster Brown. Uh, and I was wow. just like, that that tells me nothing. I'm four. And only later in life that I look up Buster Brown like, oh, so my grandpa looked like this little foppish fancy lad when he was uh, small in like the early 20th century. So there you have it. Facts about me. I had a grandpa butt. But I do have a bird I like to argue with. Yes, yeah. Henry, you're... I've been taking a lot of trips. You've been, you've been taking care of the bird that I like to argue with. Do you yeah. argue with my bird? Um, I feel like, okay, does he say a thing that sounds like shut up, bitch? Or like, it, it, am I just hearing things? He knows a lot of words. <laughs> okay, number one, he does not say shut up, bitch. Okay. But he does say puppet okay. because I call him puppy, uh, but he also right. knows like a, he wants a scratch like to scratch his neck and birds like combine a lot of words. Okay. I I heard So he'll often say like shut up bitch. It's uh, yeah, that's what it's uh, I, I I sometimes tell him to shut up because yes. birds can be loud like shut up, Louie. <laughs> okay. I'm not implying like <laughs> sorry. It, it, I now see that it sound like well Bob, you say you call people bitch all the time, so that's why your bird repeats it. Like no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. I I get to hear about the gribbler a bit. That's you know, <laughs> That's another word he made up. But I will say that uh, from my experience, birds like peanuts way more than crackers. Number one snack for a bird is a peanut. What's uh, I I also like that Marge hates Homer's sacrilegiousness and just asks like, look over there, Homer, talk to that bird. But Homer's trying to get her uh, like to prove her point. Like, yes, you need new shoes like Jesus did. (laughs) Yeah, he's backing her (laughs) up. I I also love sometimes, especially in these years, they kind of make Marge too frumpy and unfun, but I do love her listing everything children hate to do. Building dedications. Yeah. yeah. Dentist trips, uh, trips to old relatives. It's what you think about wearing brown shoes doing uh, while you're doing it. I like And that. that's an angle on Marge that I think sometimes gets forgotten too, is all the boring mom stuff. 
she loves loves it. She really loves it. And you can play that for laughs because everyone else doesn't. But sometimes, you know, they'll make it, oh, she just hates doing all the mom stuff. And I think, oh, no, you got it wrong. That's she really does love that. I well, also I love how she even tries to make it sound like you hear that. Brown. <laughs> that reminds me of uh, a, a joke from like six years earlier from um, when Bart and Milhouse are like fighting and uh, Bart's like, look at that dog. And he's like, and Milhouse is like, wow, Brown. <laughs> I think he's distracting him. But uh, yeah. um, so Brown is a very uh, uninteresting color. It's just fun to say Brown excitedly. Yeah, she, she thinks cucumbers are neat. She <laughs> likes kind of boring things. Yeah, it's good. Celery soup can be exciting too. <laughs> and also we get a real first in this episode. So you, we've said it before with other characters. You can tell when a new character appears and in the writer's room, they're like, I like this guy or Dan was really funny doing this character. We're bringing him back now. And so just uh, about six episodes removed from Realty Bites, Gil fever has struck the Simpsons <laughs> writing room. Gil <laughs> is not quite as desperate as uh, he would be. Yeah. Like uh, he is protesting the treatment that people want to put upon him, but then he eventually accepts. Uh, I mean, he'll be much sadder soon enough the put an old good good world for Gil, won't you? In trouble with trillions like, not too long. He would gladly hurt his back for a sale in the future. <laughs> he would let Bart step on him of just like uh, if it'll sell these shoes. But uh yes, here is Gil the shoe salesman. Oh rats, talk about bad luck. I forgot to wear socks today. Guess I can't try those on. Yeah, no problem. You could wear the store sock. Ew. <laughs> Oh, would you mind lacing them up, kid? I have a bad back. Hey, if you didn't want to tie shoes, you shouldn't have become a shoe salesman. <sighs> That's where you're wrong, pal. It's not enough to want a cracker. You have to earn it. Gil giving Lisa the disgusting sock is like the one time he has the upper hand in a comedic scene. Like yeah. The one time he gets to humiliate someone else. Usually everyone else is inflicting punishment on him. But it's true. Uh, yeah. I worry that Gil probably takes those socks home with him at night because he can't afford his own socks. <laughs> he took he took off his sock to give to Lisa. <laughs> oh, yeah. darker. Uh, now, can I ask this as a bird lover? How would you rank Professor Know It All in The Simpsons Birds? But he he's probably one of my top favorite Simpsons birds. I like him because he's just a realistic parrot. Yeah, giving Homer like a glassy stare. I think yeah, I think that's the funniest bit that Homer seems to be responding to him when we cut back to him. Him, but the bird says nothing where it's like other other shows would have just had the bird say say anything but just to have it meet with silence yeah that's... i think i think the bird never talks and homer in his head thinks it's like a cartoon bird we're like oh <laughs> in uh, in cartoons uh, parrots talk all the time and actually we watched an episode of frasier for the episode that nina was on and the bird seemingly could repeat things instantly which is now how, not how bird language works they've got to hear things a lot uh, but it still yeah, was funny this, to see yes. Niles with that cocky. That is a very funny episode. <laughs> yeah, this is a very grounded episode until like the very end where the car is doing some crazy business. But like this is all very realistic. There's This is all stuff that really would be annoying to kids. There, nothing gets really into a uh, surreal land uh, at any point. It's not crazy town. And I think that uh, that kind of help, helps this one and gives it a little bit more weight. Yeah, this is another of those great start with an observational thing uh, in 
in in the first act. Like I always prefer those to like you know the zany first act that has that is too extemporaneous from the main story. Instead, this is like what is it like to go shoe shopping or what is it like to go to the carnival or all these things. Like that's a good entry point for the real story to begin. And mm-hmm. uh, and this one goes really fast to the main story too, which I, I appreciate as well. Uh, so yes, this next scene felt uh, written by people who have had to canvas for comedy shows. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, ma'am. Do you like to laugh? (laughs) Yes. As long as it's tasteful. And never at someone or with. Excuse me, sir. Do you like to laugh? Why, yes. Yes, I do. Well, then you'll love our comedy festival. It's for a good cause. A rest home for pirates? No, Dad, it's to fight soil erosion. Now, that's a fight I want to be a part of. (laughs) Hey, somebody screwed up bad. You've got all these big comics lined up for your show, but there's no Krusty. Who? Krusty the Clown. Funniest man alive? Prince of Pies, the Sultan of Seltzer? Excuse me, sir, do you like to laugh? Well, only if something tickles me just right. <laughs> that was nine seconds. That's a great Hibbert laugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, give it the credit to Harry for finding new ways to laugh as Hibbert that deep into a long laugh like that. I also like that uh, Bart is still a Krusty super fan, despite everything Krusty has been through and all the abuse Bart has suffered <laughs> because of Krusty. Done to him. Yeah, yeah I, I like that. Nearly getting punched in the face by Krusty. <laughs> and uh, though I don't like that Marge joke a little bit, just because it feels veering into the territory of women hate comedy because they're not funny. Type yeah, thing. yeah. Though I mean, Marge, the character who is so buttoned down, I could see her being a person who doesn't personally like stand up, but. Uh, to give that trait to the mom feels a little bit in the women aren't funny category of things. Yeah, they've set up uh, in this episode that she likes bland things. Again, getting back to the brown things. And, and she likes everything <laughs> that's dull. And 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 you're right. It seems like that would be the the angle to take. Yeah, it's, it, does, it does slip a little bit into that. I feel like if it was uh, they were doing it now, we'd have a cutaway to all these pirates that really would like a rest home. <laughs> and they've got nothing to do but hang out in the mall because they've got nowhere to go. And uh, in this one, they just went, nope, we're just yeah. going to – Hibbert can laugh for like eight seconds. That's good enough. <laughs> Soil erosion is a great, very pointless cause too. I, I like that. <laughs> and that's all there. They're putting all this work into a benefit for – and then also that Stephen Wright apparently really cares about soil erosion. They're all on board with this, even internet comics. <laughs> Jay Leno loves it too. They all move like that. Also, Jay Leno is flown out to Springfield and is apparently staying there for weeks. Like maybe <laughs> he must have like a, a week long engagement at a, at a different club while he's there. Uh, in this next scene, so I was watching this this morning. Uh, it's one of those DVDs where when you're watching a thing, when a deleted scene comes up, you can just hit a button to go to it. So I watch all the deleted scenes for this ah. one. And Jay Leno was introduced being on the phone with somebody. And he's saying, like, you know, I don't know. This comedian's really edgy. Make sure he doesn't do any of his work. Okay, tell uh, Bob Newhart it's okay to join the show or whatever. <laughs> and then Bart approaches him. So when the scene starts, he's like he's like closing his jacket. He just put his phone away. So in the, the reality of the scene, he just talked about Bob Newhart on the phone. But in the scene, 
scene, he's just sort of closing his jacket for no reason with his with his face away from the camera. <laughs> wow. Okay. I never. I I forgot that cutscene with the Bob Newhart line. That's clever. That's clever. I. But I mean, also this this is a very realistic Jay Leno in the way that he never stops working, and he always like that was the secret of him the whole time that he he was doing the Tonight Show five nights a week. Loved writing. Like he wrote a ton of material for it, probably more than most late night show hosts do not that I'm saying I thought they were funny, but he did write them. <laughs> and, uh, and then he was still doing stand up all the time. It's just like, dude, t- chill out. But I just don't think that's the type of guy he is. He never like, well, had kids or anything. So he's putting yeah. all that energy into uh, working, which is fine. Yeah. Well, when you, when you do hear his origin story, you know, he went to Los Angeles and he was homeless. Ah. Like he was like literally sleeping in an alley next to the stand up club till he could sleep in his car. And this went on for like forever. Uh, as he like worked his way slowly up and slowly up. And, and to me, and again, I don't want to like psychoanalyze a guy, but it feels like if you're not working, you're in incredible danger uh, mm. because he was like living in, in L.A. homeless. And and there's yeah. that feeling of like he's going to go back to that if in any way he loses his job, even though he's a millionaire many, many times over. <laughs> if you see the film Comedian, uh, Jerry Seinfeld actually talks to him a little bit about that, saying mm. that's your fear. You're afraid that you're going to be the has-been guy and lose everything. And it's not possible. You could not possibly lose your tens of hundreds of millions of dollars, but he's uh, got that little bit of a, a thing in him. Yeah, things were never that uh, the, that high stakes for me. But like as someone who uh, spent most of their adult life as a freelancer and having to find work everywhere, like even though we're fairly stable in this, it's like if I'm not working, it's just like something is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this could all go yeah. away at any moment. It's not a good thing to have, by the way. Uh, and also, from a character design standpoint, they talked about how they were in a difficult situation because... Oh, you're right, yeah. Overbites are the rule of the day. Jay Leno is Mr. Chin. And there so are no chins, more importantly. Th- there are, Yeah, sorry, mm-hmm. there's no chins. You don't draw... I think they did break that rule for Bob Hope. I think Bob Hope did have a chin, but uh, at this time, I think they were enforcing the rules a bit more on their guests. But that the way it works, though, is it's more like he just has a big, fat head, like his just he has no like neck it but it's like Gene Leno, you know, I guess I wouldn't call him thin, but he he's got a big. His head's not that big, you know. Yeah, like actually, no, he, oh sorry, he is border. He is borderline a Family Guy character. Yeah, I'm looking at the Bob Hope drawing they did, and uh, he doesn't. He kind of has a chin, but uh, for the Simpsons, there's no chin neck differentiation. It's all just like one tube. Oh yeah. That's uh, right. So for Bob Hope, it looks like he's got like kind of got like a goiter. Uh, okay. That goes from his bottom lip to his chest. <laughs> they, it, it, it's convincingly a chin, but it's not actually like a, a chin and then a neck, mm-hmm. like as you would draw to accentuate the chin. I I wonder if they broke that rule later with chinny celebrities. I can't remember, think of, when I think of celebrities who have strong chins who would have been on The Simpsons, Bruce Campbell's the only one I can think of. <laughs> That's all I can think of as well, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kirk Douglas, has Kirk Douglas ever been on the show? Not in character, no. Or in a character, no, someone, not Someone doing himself. a Spartacus thing, has that ever happened? Mm, that's, more of a, that's more of a critic bit. Uh, yeah. Critic had like 17 Spartacus episodes. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but here, why don't we give a listen to the first appearance of uh, Jay Leno. Yeah, excuse me, I'm looking for someone named... Jay Leno. Somebody want to get this kid a TV? Oh, gee, thanks, mister. Yeah, just joking. I- I'm Jay Leno. Oh. I said, what can I do for you? <laughs> well, if you're running the show, how could you leave out Krusty the Clown? Ah, uh, Krusty the Clown? That takes me back. Didn't he die in a grease fire? <laughs> no, he's alive, and he is so funny you could blots, at least according to his press release. 
Well, if he's half as alive as you say he is, he's in. <laughs> Charity, eh? What's my cut? Nothing. I make more than that taking a schwitz. Hey, hey, happy birthday. Uh, now get him out of here. He seems reluctant. Tell him it'll count towards his community service. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. All right, I'll do it. Ugh. Boy, swipe one pair of Hager slacks and you're paying for it the rest of your life. I enjoy the phrase taking a schwitz. <laughs> it's uh it's not a dirty word, but it sounds like one. Yeah, it's fine. Like uh well also like plots too. That's it's like I love Jay Leno's delivery here. Just like, did he die in a grease fire? Like he doesn't say or something. It's like, like eh. yeah, it's like, a nice <laughs> It's good acting. It's just good yeah, acting. Yeah, he does. Uh, he knows how to deliver a joke. And I hope those balloons were the higher quality ones that didn't take those kids' <laughs> eyes out that one time. That balloon cost ten dollars. Uh, yeah, what that? What will that cost you? Yeah, he, I also love. I love the joke of thinking of just thinking a celebrity's dead. Like that's one of the biggest insults you can do. That I actually did that on a recording. That's probably in the future. <laughs> uh, where I was like, no, isn't Shirley dead or Laverne dead? Like, no, no. It's... I'll edit that out or you will. I forget who <laughs> sure, did that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of podcasts in the future guys. We, I can't remember them all. <laughs> but yeah, Krusty in the nineties, he's very much like he peaked at like doing Friars Club appearances. Yeah. <laughs> basically that's, that's who he is. I love his old comedy man steamer box that you're just like, I could imagine, you know, uh, um, any young men in that box, that same kind of box. On the commentary, George Meyer jokes that you get in that box after you exercise with a medicine ball. Yeah, like I have not seen those outside of cartoons. I think they're dangerous yeah. and the people <laughs> actually don't use them after like 1939. Yeah, clearly something happened in those boxes. People died. They stopped using them, but they, they're easy to draw. <laughs> so here we go. You could draw a whole steam room or this box. What do you want to do, animator? And the box, the box. <laughs> I also love Christie's press release. It's just a flyer with his phone number like somebody who gives out guitar lessons yeah or most your line <laughs> and uh and they did that joke before winona Ryder stole stuff that's true uh, how was that right okay. yeah she did that in like 2000 or something something or, like that yeah man she got uh i mean think of what our, our modern yeah. starlets do I think we should all apologize to Winona Ryder and give her money like to make up for the job she didn't get I think uh, I think Stranger Things is basically America doing that. Like, <laughs> we're sorry. Here's three seasons of a show. I've heard that Fair movie enough. she did with uh, Keanu wasn't that good. I, I, oh yeah, from people who would love that movie, they're like, man, nah, that a rom com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't look very good. Mm. So here we get to the stand up showcase, and I base this on when they talked about how they try to get Don Rickles for the show. But it's a dicey thing, I think, to write stand up for a stand up to do in a guest appearance on the show. Don Rickles famously refused to do the show in season four. The storyline where they have Captain McAllister in uh, the Bart's Crush episode, that was supposed to be Don Rickles. And when they gave him the script, he said, you did my bit, you did my stand-up and didn't pay me. And he didn't get that they were writing jokes for him to do as himself when they would pay him to be a guest. And so he felt kind of insulted by that. And I I wonder in here, did they, I already said about Garofalo, I think they definitely wrote her material, but did did Stephen Wright come in with that joke or did they write a Stephen Wright joke? Yeah, I'm wondering. I think they just were like, well, number one, like Jay Leno needs to headline this, no pun intended, but also <laughs> we have four slots 
these could be anybody because they don't affect the plot. And whoever says yes, we can write jokes for them. I don't, I'm not sure if they actually had the jokes written ahead of time or if they had any like impact on the things they were saying. I'm sure they could have refused to say something if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. The Stephen Wright thing is a Stephen Wright joke. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's like literally a Stephen Wright joke, but it could be one. I also like that Bobcat Goldthwait is there when it's like, you burned Jay Leno's chair. <laughs> like, you guys have a history, you know? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, I didn't know Bobcat from stand-up at 1998. No way. I think it was a couple of years before I finally saw his stand-up. I was like, oh, there's a completely different human being than the Police Academy guy I saw as a kid. And he was not using that uh, persona either. Yes, yeah. Like the uh, No one can do that imitation. It's why it's good. But uh, <laughs> he wasn't doing that anymore. Yeah, he was. Uh, I, I really did like his stand-up. He was, he was the guy he was very, very dangerous, would come out, would do jokes about Scientology or, or what have you. And, but then again, that crazy voice uh, mm-hmm. you know, started off with Tom Kenny when they were Bobcat and uh, Tom Cat, and that's where the names come from. They were kind of comedy partners and then split up and did their own thing. But uh, yeah, he was he was amazing back in the day. And I got to have like a dinner with him uh, a couple of years ago at oh, a wow. uh, Dos Equus party. We, because we we're both comics, we just like hung out for almost the entire evening. And he, he was just great. That's awesome, man. That's no, I yeah, he, he's a great director now, too, on some very dark movies. Yeah, no, it's Barry Crimmins documentary, too, was. Oh, yeah, really good. And not uh, not bright i would say not not cheery but very yeah. very good world's greatest dad yeah. is like one of my favorite robin williams performances mm-hmm. yeah and he's not super proud of uh the setting the uh the set on fire i'll just uh, i'll let you know that that was just <laughs> trying to do something trying to get a reaction and uh yeah but holy cow you set the tonight show set on fire holy moly that's pretty i still think it's it was cool. a small I fire <laughs> well i <laughs> Well, also, it's funny that Jay Leno would, I, you know, even in 1998, maybe he was, and I, I and I'm being mean to him, but I don't think the hip comedians were hanging out with him at stuff. Oh, like, no. Dana- and he, was, he wasn't very good on The Tonight Show for bringing in stand-ups either. Yeah. For a guy that, you know, he's not, again, I, I feel that Jay is, is very much a look-out-for-himself kind of guy, maybe coming from that background, but you would think the stand-up uh, host of The Tonight Show, really, the most stand-up-y guy would have more stand-ups on, but no. No dice very very few yeah yeah i got that i got that sense too i think you know he he got more out of the da- dancing edos and uh some poorly <laughs> aged Lewinsky jokes uh, and jaywalking jay oh headlines man. uh we'll reference ta- headlines we'll in this talk episode. about those headlines yeah i <laughs> i but, love the okay so number one i love conan o'brien's parody of his headline yep. segment where it's just <laughs> the horrible things that they make up the writers make yeah, up and then he's just like wow i can't believe they published that <laughs> yeah. like, I, I lo- that's very good yeah oh i love that so much uh, yeah, so, but I don't think he'd be hanging out with other stand-ups backstage either. I yeah, think they definitely would not respect him. If Maybe was, Bruce Baum. I think Bruce Baum is of his era. Let's I, what, talk like, about Bruce Baum. What does Bruce Baum sure. even say in this episode? I, I don't remember. Uh, he talks to the internet comic. That's like, all What do does. you think, internet comic? Is that it? I'm betting they had a cutscene for him, yeah. Well, he didn't really do joke jokes. He was, uh, like, his, his, his shtick was he would dress up like a baby. And he was like, big baby bomb. And, you know, that's the amazing... Look at the guy. He's dressed like a baby, Barney style. But he used to be on Make Me Laugh. And, I you know, remember that, would, yes. Yeah, Yeah, he would sit, people would sit, and, you know, Howie Mandel or him or the unknown comic would come out, and they'd just do crazy faces and be visually, because, you know, jokes don't work for that. So that's what he kind of became known for. So he doesn't really have joke jokes. He just has, look, I'm bizarre, but you're a cartoon character, so everyone's bizarre. So <laughs> the best he they could He's like him. a David Crosby cosplayer, too. He, that, too, oh, yeah. Yeah. 
No, my theory on Bruce Baum is that uh, he's an old friend of Mike Scully's. And he's like, you know what? Or he did favors for him or he helped him coming up. Or it's just like it came off as a favor to a friend. I mean, that could be any. They just wanted to stand up warm body, I would think. And so just do a favor for Bruce Baum. It's not like he's bad or anything, but he, no one was talking about him in 1998. Not one person. Like, and if they wanted a prop comedy joke, Carrot Top would say yes, guys. Yeah, and I thought he was Bruce... And you've already got Leno on it, so what do you care if you have Carrot Top? That's true. I always confused him with Bruce Valanche, because they're both like <laughs> from the 70s, right? They're both <laughs> very different personas and people, but they're comedic Bruces. That's, yeah. They're, yeah, they're, Valanche, Valanche, I don't think, ever really did stand-up stand-up. He would just be like a guy who'd be on a talk show, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then give Whoopi Goldberg a joke at the uh, at the Oscars. <laughs> I think I confused him because he was on The Simpsons, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I just remember was... his joke, like, Whoopi would have made it work. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I only became aware of him when Whoopi took over the uh, Hollywood Squares, and he was a consistent square on there. I like that. Uh, and what? And the idea behind an internet comic, that's crazy. Yeah. When doing jokes on the internet. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I guess it's fiction, so Every... you can make crazy things up. <laughs> Every human is an internet comic now. Uh, I mean, we kind of are. Yeah. If, yeah. If I could complain about stand-up today, and I when I go see stand-ups I enjoy, I won't name any, when I go see stand-ups I do enjoy, and their new material is still good, I still have to remember, like, at least 15 minutes of this will be re- replying to a Twitter or, or Instagram thing and explaining it. I'm like, you know what? I don't... If I follow your Twitter account, talk shit about the this Twitter follower on there. Do different material on stage. That's uh, it. Kind of drives me crazy. Mm. Even that the best are still just like I'm going to complain about Twitter now. That's <laughs> that's my hour. That's 15 minutes of my hour. That's my life. I don't need to hear comedy segments about it. Because what well, I mean, that's all Ricky Gervais has. If I if uh, uh, there, I did say one uh, Anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll never get him. Uh, but let's remember a more innocent time with uh, <laughs> with this stand up showcase. I finally got around to reading the dictionary. Turns out the zebra did it. <laughs> I don't get it. Dad, the zebra didn't do it. It's just a word at the end of the dictionary. I still don't get it. It's just a joke. Oh, I get it. I get jokes. <laughs> hey, hey, it's Krusty the Clown. Hey, it's you, right? And this guy, uh, with all the jokes he does. You're the reason I went into comedy. If it weren't for you, I'd be a doctor. Yeah, yeah, right. Thanks. (laughs) I got my period today. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Plus, I got this new boyfriend... And you know how it is when you're kissing a guy with a tongue stud. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Uh, I love that laughter from Dan. That's really, I do yeah. love his laughter. And I, I love that Krusty has never heard of even Jay Leno. He is so checked out from the mainstream. He doesn't know who Jay Leno is. I guess Bart doesn't either. I, in, maybe in Springfield, they just don't have The Tonight Show. It they only have Conan. It feels like uh, Krusty has hosted The Tonight Show a couple of times. Yeah. And it is odd that he does not know that. Yeah. Well, so that, if I may be a continuity pedant, Krusty has never been portrayed as someone who did stand up. 
And I'm not saying that stand-ups mm-hmm. can't be inspired by clowns they saw as a kid, but they are treating him just like he was a stand-up in the 50s. In fact, there's a quote later about how he was a stand-up in the 50s, but that's... He was called a promising newcomer. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, but... So it's it's just weird to portray him as a stand-up when that's not really what Krusty did as uh, to create his empire of clowning. But I guess, you know, clowning and stand-up, it's not like they're not related. But, I mean, I, I was sure Jay Leno could say to Jerry Lewis, like, you really inspired me into comedy as a kid, even though Jerry Lewis is not necessarily a stand-up either. So sure, fine. I talked myself out of that pedantry. <laughs> no, that's what I felt as well. But I think Krusty is just the catch-all for anything comedy. You mm. can go, like, he had a sitcom in the 60s of course he did he hosted the tonight show sure he was a, he was a stand-up makes sense sure whatever it is he's got uh he's got a history that there's no linear yeah. line to it it's just anything generic and comedy that pushes the plot along yeah he did that back if then. they want to tell a story about an entertainer or like about hollywood mm. they'll use crusty as the lens or the filter and the, you know there's another reading of this you can take that this is a real subtweet about Jay Leno being a hacky sellout too you could say that the in this next clip we've got Krusty's act it reminds me of in the 90s when on shows they would welcome on like Bob Hope or Milton Berle and I was like I know these people are important to comedy I guess I should watch this stand up, but this isn't funny to me and no. it feels very dated. Though even they would have at least have a handler that tells them don't do an Asian accent impression. <laughs> well, this specifically reminds me of a movie called Hardly Working. Have you ever heard of that film? No. I have not. It's a Jerry Lewis film from 1980. And oh, nope. I've heard of this one. I know this. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If you look at the trailer for it, it's him doing all his old shtick. But then he does, puts on the glasses, he puts in the buck teeth, and does the Japanese character in it. And again, this is 1980. You don't, <laughs> not even close to you do this now. And so that was that was exactly what this reminded me of then. And and Krusty is very much a Jerry Lewis kind of character. I mean, he's the uh, day the clown, clown cried. He like, yeah, you know, this is entirely about Jerry Lewis now. I yeah, I mean, <laughs> he is the real, he's the realistic jaded Jerry Lewis that nobody liked. Like the offstage <laughs> Jerry Lewis that everyone hated. The serious director as he was played on Animaniacs. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yes, here, why don't we um, enjoy the comedy stylings of Krusty the Clown? It's time for something special. The man Spencer Tracy called the most promising newcomer of 1959. Please put your hands together for Krusty the Clown! (laughs) So, how about those TV dinners, huh? I tried one the other day. Lightning strikes, the peach cobbler goes out! (laughs) Cobbler! The other thing about TV dinners... You don't have leftovers, you have reruns. (laughs) (laughs) TV dinner jokes. Ooh, take that, Swansons. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't like that one, huh? Well, me so shyly. Oh, Oh boy. I'm glad you cut it there. Oh, no, I've got the other clip. It goes on for a long time. I will say this lines up with crusty continuity because... And I Love Lisa, he was celebrating his 29th anniversary of the Krusty the Clown show, which means it would have started in 1962, I believe. So mm. him being a newcomer in 59 does make sense. Yeah, that, that lines up. It yeah. Does, with that, and I love the construction of that because Spencer Tracy died in 1967. So mm-hmm. saying that Spencer Tracy said that about him dates it enough. 
But Leno has to say 1959 to make it yeah. even older. It's the last. It feels like the last good praise he got publicly. Yeah, I I love that. And uh, and yes, TV dinner jokes very old, uh, very ancient. I I it's a very realistic uh, stand up thing too of like cobbler like, <laughs> it's like i gotta hit it again maybe they'll laugh this time <laughs> this way i am a little sympathetic to him where you know uh Jeanine garofalo's uh slagging on him like at least he had some jokes he had punchlines <laughs> to his jokes that's true you just had true. setups for yours there was nothing you said that was like a joke but that's again that's just my that's my how they wrote <laughs> janine yeah no janine janine the only joke she gets to tell is the look out swansons like that's... i feel like there were punchlines but we were just on the simpsons during them yeah. yeah. Well, I've actually I've been at comedy shows with Jean Garofalo, and she was a heckler in the audience at, <laughs> com- wow. at comedians that she didn't like. Yeah, she was a little a little mean. Mm, she she ouch. went on did her act, which again was mostly clapter uh, stuff, just you know stuff that everyone agreed with and clapped to, and that's fine. Yeah. Not really any jokes there, but that's okay. I like agreeing with things. So about that president, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was doing stuff about Canada too that was just like not correct. She's uh, like, yeah, Stephen Harper really wants to build a giant uh, wall at the border. Ironically, and it's like, no, he didn't. You read that article wrong. But fair enough. Clap, clap, clap. I <laughs> got in the audience and then heckled uh, a bunch of comedians that came up that were uh, local guys. I'm like, this seems mean. <laughs> I saw uh, Brian Posehn in Vancouver with Nina actually, and he told two Canadian jokes that she told me were accurate. Oh. The one I remember <laughs> is him making fun of Saskatoon. <laughs> <laughs> good. So, well, okay. Uh, I, I learned that it was an accurate joke. So good for Brian Posehn. That's what, on I, him. that's what I thought was the most realistic to comedians in this, that they were all off stage shitting on him. Yeah. Like <laughs> that is true, yes. Uh, but, all right, let's talk about that Solly here. I mean, so I don't like ironic racism comedy all that much anymore, I think, because uh, I know... Well, Krusty's not doing this ironically. That, no, that is okay. not. No, I'm talking about intentionality of the writers of using racist tropes for comedy bits. In the shadow, I, we talked a little bit about this on the Boondocks, too. It's that when the... On our Boondocks, what a cartoon podcast. That racist white people take these types of things and quote it and pretend to be ironic, but are actually just racist. And so it makes it a more dicey proposition when you want to make irony-based racial comedy like this. But I, I feel it's good it is handled correctly here because no one laughs at this. Everyone is offended. The audience is like, oh my God. It's a real producer's kind of uh, shot of them. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. So, and Dan as Krusty has to go hard for it. And all he's doing is what was entirely acceptable in 1959. And it's or apparently more... 1980 in some people. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, no, it's okay to do this. And it shows you how badly comedy can age in a lot of cases. And it's just, it's a difference between the sign of the times of society shifting, or also, I was sure, I am sure Asian people were offended by that kind of routine in the 50s too. Yeah. But guys like Krusty didn't have to recognize that people, those people were people even. Speaking of yeah. uh, this sort of stereotype or this sort of like racist humor in the 90s, a friend of mine, like I was in fifth or sixth grade, and he really loved this comedian special or this comedy special by Bob Nelson. Do you know who Bob Nelson is? Ian? Yeah, I, I believe he's a Seattle co- comedian. Am I uh, getting that right? I know there's another Bob Nelson then, maybe. But anyways, um, we uh, he showed me this comedy special as a kid, and I thought it was hilarious. And he played a bunch of characters like he grew up with, and one of them was an Asian man, mm. and he would put on the squinty glasses, and he would uh, do some pretty offensive jokes. I remember the one I do remember is this is Bob Nelson 
of saying this, by the way, but the way Chinese people name their kids is they throw a trash can lid down the stairs, and it's named oh, after the sound it makes. Boy. And wow. um, this was in the 90s, I believe, I want to say. Wow. And then we have like things like, um, didn't John Leguizamo do that a lot, too? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes. John yes. Leguizamo would. I uh, in a very another another sort of one man show style thing. I mean, if you're talking about the past, he one thousand percent did that. Yeah, yeah, the past. Yeah. But that felt like it came in this gray area. Like, well, but he's not white, so can he well, make these? Jo- I don't, I'll give you I, one guess. What race Bob Nelson is? Okay, he's a white well, this man. is also there's a comedian Russell Peters in Canada who's like our biggest comedian, and that oh, is yeah. all that he does is <laughs> looks in the audience. Where am I? And then name a race. Boom, and again it's the thing about like at least you're being talked about by somebody and uh you know my my family's very diverse and they they love them they love going there and like make fun make fun of us go do it and to don't me, you hate just, pants <laughs> oh, oh my gosh it just it bothers me so much but you know i yeah i don't like uh what the little i've seen of russell peters i don't particularly care for either but it would be different if he was a white man that would be oh it'd be very different here's what here's what they started to do in the 90s by the way uh guys that had the homophobic and racial material they would originally just do that and that's enough and you're fine and then they usually do this twist on it as they went "Ooh, the tide's turning and like you know i saw a guy the other day and he said this they do the joke and then they go so i said to him first First of all, they get the laugh from the, you know, racist, sexist, homophobic joke. Then they go, and here's the zinger I gave to him. And you go, well, what a great guy for standing up for. No, you took the laugh, and, you know, and enjoyed wow. it. And now you're you're having it both ways. So, uh, you know, knock it off. <laughs> there's a th- there's another version of that where the car- the guy would have uh, a comedic persona where mm. it'd be like the whole joke behind it was wouldn't it be bad if someone actually thought this and Louis C.K. did a lot of that oh yeah but it's like then, yeah. you, then, then you get down to it it's like no wait you actually think this yeah. there's no persona here this is just you I mean there are friendlier and more entertaining versions of that like I think Jim Gaffigan who I think is very funny he does love him. he does a funnier version of like uh, doing a character but that is also him like Jim Gaffigan enjoys being lazy and eating and stuff but then he writes material as if he's the laziest fattest man ever yes. basically uh, mm-hmm. that's good stuff yeah. Uh, yeah. Hot Pockets Pit is still great I uh, the one time I saw Jim Gaffigan was in Vegas and he did a very Vegas thing of like I know you people all saw me on the TV you want to hear Hot Pockets so he did his whole new hour of stuff I'd never heard before and he's like but you know what I like is hot pockets. And then he just <laughs> he does the whole hot pockets bit, and then he's like, "Good night, everybody." <laughs> I think his bit about uh, the kudos, the granola bar kudos, is just as funny as the oh, hot I pocket heard bit. That one. It's, it's about how it's just you're eating a candy bar <laughs> <laughs> with yeah. chocolate. He's inside also. Of it. I, I just started writing for Mad Magazine, and both me and my wife, uh, uh, and uh, Jim Gaffigan has the sort of center spread in the latest issue, and oh, he does cool. uh, does a piece with his son, and they write it together about avocados, and it's a really simple piece, but it's very very fun. And uh, it's just nice seeing him jamming with his son. That's awesome. And actually, yeah, yeah, Jim Gaffigan, great guy. His wife is like one of his writers, Mm -hmm. like his his co-writer, basically, which is amazing. Well, I mean, wives support lots of comedians, but they don't always get the credit, you know. Krusty here, he's shocking everybody like he, and it just shows it's not a, (laughs) it's weird that no one makes the pronouncement that Krusty is racist. It's just that he's Krusty. doing an old bit. Speaking of Krusty gets canceled, Krusty would be canceled after this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, Krusty gets canceled has a different connotation now. Uh, and Mike Scully tells a story he really regrets on this commentary uh, uh, about how in an episode, in a future episode, Mr. Burns, being an old-timey guy, he will use the term, quote, Chinaman 
unquote, yeah. to ex- name someone from China. And he says that he got a phone call from a newspaper saying like, uh, you know, that's offensive or you shouldn't have done that or, or what do you have to say about that? And he said, well, me so solly. And they said, Ooh. they uh, replied to him like, is that really what you want to say? He's like, no, you know, no, I do not. I will uh, I'll take that back. I'm very sorry. Oh, and so he knew, but he was coming at them with like a, uh, kind of like me fuck you if you're offended thing and then once somebody tells him like so you really want that in print he's like oh no no I don't I'm sorry <laughs> but yeah actually they should I'm kind of shocked Janine Garofalo I, or Bobcat would be saying like that's racist like that's not this is old that's racist the, but it gets really funny once the dicky comes out <sighs> what's he gonna do next the flapping dicky <laughs> I'm losing him time for the A material hey hey Also, also, me like how the fly life. Me flap a dicky wrong time. <laughs> and I will also one more complaint about how these kind of jokes about Asian stereotypes come through is when people are like, no, no, I'm quoting Full Metal Jacket or I'm quoting these like uh, very stereotypical Asian accent characters. Like I'm just making a reference to a movie like, no, you are not. You are not. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. getting, you're trying to get away with something here. I, I don't like that. Now, do you think the angle on this that they're taking is that this material, if you saw it in 1957 or 8, would be destroying and it would be that that was absolutely fine for this time and and it's just aged out? Or was it always hack horrible stuff even, even back then? I think, yeah, sorry, I think there was more of a tradition of racial humor. Uh, that a lot of people grew out of, but all you needed to do was like have an impression or like have a prop and people would laugh because it's something like, Oh, I I recognize that. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the way they're selling it with Krusty is that Krusty is going to his closer. He's like, I got to go hard on what always worked every time back when I did stand up. Yeah. So I got to do it. So I think we are to read it as this was very funny in the fifties when he, when Krusty was a stand up, and I just love the, you can't bomb harder than just repeating your racial, your racist <laughs> yeah. epithets while flapping your dicky up and down and everybody is just booing you. And he can't get it. He's like, I should really stop now. Uh, yeah, that seems to be an angle they don't that they don't really play is that, you know, this was this is just a comedian that's just out of his own time and doing the same stuff. And then ironically, if you look at all the comedians that are here, almost all of them kind of aged out of comedy and their material that they do doesn't really fly anymore oh, or yeah. they've all moved on to other things because they've had to it just true. says an interesting thing about comedy like even if you're like the hottest thing you know you're jay leno and now you're the biggest hack in the world but you were jay leno mm-hmm. and if jay leno can become the biggest hack in the world well then whatever is the freshest thing right now it's wait 20 years it's something we see a lot of people go through like uh jerry seinfeld i mean i love the sitcom seinfeld i like to stand up but uh once he like hits 60s like people aren't laughing at my jokes anymore mm-hmm. and my my answer to that is like yes you're 60 and yeah. like older comedians, like people that are getting older, like Adam Carolla, just like, uh, you know, 
kids don't understand me anymore. Just like, well, did your dad understand you when he was 60? Did your dad understand anything about the world? Like, why do you think you should understand things? Or when he came in, when Adam Carolla came into comedy when he was 20, why would he listen to some 50-year-old guy about what's comedy now? Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, I just like we're all eventually going to be out of touch and making bad jokes. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I think I'll have the self awareness to not question. Just like I don't get this, but I'm not supposed to. Yeah, you've got to adjust and change. I mean, I think I think Seinfeld's doing well with the comedians in cars, with the coffee, because once he, he throws focus on another person, and also he's basically doing a podcast. Yeah. He's learned this is what it is. I'm doing a podcast in a car. It's that's what it is because that's what now is, and so he's uh, he's got it. I look at people like uh, Alec Baldwin who you know says oh man the world's really changed and it's uh, has gotten worse it's like no you've gotten older you're not the super handsome guy anymore <laughs> the world has not changed you've just gotten older yeah. and now you're out of that bubble and that's how this goes and you've got to uh, you've got to adjust or be left behind well in the case with many stand-ups who become to say, to stake a line from Bane success has defeated you but <laughs> Thank but, you. It, <laughs> but it really is that you you get you get so successful you don't know like Jerry Seinfeld has not lived a normal person's life in a very long time. And it's not that he shouldn't enjoy his success or try to live in a one bedroom and apartment when he's a millionaire. Like it's not that, but when your persona is living a normal life and having identifiable things that other people understand, the richer you are, the more distant you are from that life. And you kind of, it's harder for you to stay in touch with that way of being and so especially then when your ego is boosted so highly as a comedian as being told you're the biggest and greatest in the world as bart will do in this next scene with crusty then when somebody tells you you're not funny then you are immediately like no i'm the greatest comedian in the world this joke was obviously funny you're too sensitive too much of a woman too young to anything to defend yourself from not yeah. thinking your comedy sucks we're going on a long time about this but uh this, this episode <laughs> about comedy and i remember like i have no preconceived notions about howie mandel or like what he does but he was on the gilbert godfrey podcast recently and his entire appearance was just like a tirade against modern audiences he was like uh this guy came on before me he was a gay comic he did all this gay humor why can't i say those things and also why did no one laugh at this joke i told just like well maybe like in the past howie mandel if a joke if you told a joke and no one laughed wouldn't you be like i'll rewrite that joke or i won't use that joke now he's like i am entitled to your laughter i'm the yeah. deal or no deal guy and you will laugh <laughs> Laugh at me. Dana Gould, I think, has a much better way of an age. And Pat Oswald, they've both kind of aged into being at least uh, more introspective comics who are just like, you know what? If somebody didn't laugh, it probably was because my joke sucked and I should maybe do a better one. Exactly. <laughs> just be funnier is almost always the advice. Keep going. Be funnier. That's <laughs> uh, that's that's it. And it's the audience that tells you what's funny. And if they're not, it's you can't go the other way. Honestly, Krusty, if this was done now, Krusty would become an alt-right podcast podcast host yeah. would talk about how the culture has changed and he used to be famous. He was forced out of the comedy industry. He'd become Dennis Miller. He'd become oh, for sure. uh, the PragerU host, uh, Adam Carolla. Can you <laughs> fucking believe he sold out that much? PragerU. Like, Ugh. Jesus Christ. You can't even get it on Fox, you fucking loser. We we happily Jesus. turned down ads from him when Retronauts was on Podcast One. Like, <laughs> no thanks. Uh, but yes, here's, here's Krusty dealing with that same rejection. <laughs> hey, Krusty, great set. Are you kidding? I stunk up the joint. No, no. I was talking to Lisa back there. We both agreed you killed. Really? 
Lisa, huh? <laughs> sure, there were a lot of laughs. You probably couldn't hear them. The acoustics were so bad. Yeah, the acoustics, that's what it was. I mean, me so shyly. <laughs> yeah, I was great. Did you get a load of Corpsey the Clown? <laughs> <laughs> that guy cheapens our whole profession. What do you think of him, Internet comic? <laughs> Guys, keep it down. Five minutes, Krusty. Oh, I ain't going back out there. No, five minutes to get your stuff and get out. <laughs> uh... Man, Bruce Baum really shines in this yeah, episode. Well, uh, only listening to the audio did I catch Stephen Wright laughing there. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's in the great laugh, yeah. <laughs> it's real like uh, butthead laugh. <laughs> it's really realistic the way Bart softens the blow to Krusty. Like, uh, that's how all bad comedians backstage have to hear like, Oh, no, no, no. You were hilarious. You just couldn't hear the laughter. Like, oh, no, I, I me and my friend, we agree. You were hilarious. Like, yeah. That, and of course, after you've bombed, you want anybody to comfort you. So you're sure. like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I remember it differently now. And everything <laughs> went great. Yeah. Crusty yeah, trust. High ceilings. The high ceilings really <laughs> sucked up all the laughter. You just couldn't. Uh, if you were higher up. Oh, boy. Crusty <laughs> trusts Lisa's opinion for sure. Yeah, I love it. Lisa, Lisa, huh? <laughs> you know, we talked about them getting into women not funny cat- territory. But Lisa is as smart with. Honestly, she has the best sense of humor of everybody there. Like, she doesn't think Crusty's funny like Bart does. She, she actually fully understand Stephen Wright's joke like she is urbane enough to do that and yet she also enjoys an itchy and scratchy cartoon <laughs> just as much as Bart does that's true she she can enjoy the the highs and lows of comedy I really love the gag that they already had Krusty groan once so the next time he groans he groans so much he falls, falls to over. the floor <laughs> in silhouette I like that yeah that's very funny and yes yeah, yeah we talked about the internet comic I did you know Bruce Baum gave me a slight laugh but it was just visually where he says this cheapens our whole profession and then he's in his stupid prop outfit oh that's right that's right he does get one joke that that counts as a joke Um, and that's a bruce bomb joke because that was his thing (laughs) uh but yes we we then come back from the commercial and the reviews are in last (laughs) night's comedy benefit delivered wall-to-wall laughs without exception the only exception was the embarrassingly dated humor of springfield's green-haired red-nosed hack yeah 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 crusty the clown They say any publicity is good publicity. You, sir, are an idiot. (laughs) Ah, that's your answer to everything. Uh, Look at my life. I'm talking to a monkey and, uh, I don't know what the hell you are. You can be so cruel when you're sober. Well, I'll fix that. I'm going on the bender to end all benders. <laughs> There's also the great headline: "Dog kills cat self." That's it's yeah. Funny. I yeah, like how uh, how unrealistically written that story is. <laughs> it's, it's like without exception. One exception was <laughs> the one exception. Yeah. Without exception, period. The one exception was. I like that there's three non-English uh, speaking characters in this: Mr. Teeny, Internet Comic, and uh, and uh, Professor Know It All. I just wish the three of them had a scene together. Krusty <laughs> yeah. is uh, so cruel when he's sober. That's a great line too. <laughs> that he's when he's drunk, it's when he's finally nice. Which that's uh, that is the opposite of my experience with alcoholics. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that that's the joke. And uh, then we get on like what must be the show's like fourth lost weekend parody scene, but. 
but it's yeah. really, it is funny. It is him drinking out of everything. They tell Mike Scully tells a funny story on there that uh, Fox broadcasting partner NHL was not happy at all about the vomiting and the Stanley Cup joke. Oh yeah, getting the NHL is a big deal for them, right? It really was. Yeah. yeah, but Mike Scully says like, "Hey, I'm a big NHL fan, but I love the joke, and we were able to tell them they don't have a leg to stand on to make us lose it." And <laughs> I think that you know a show that isn't The Simpsons wouldn't get away with that. Like, I'm fine with uh, them vomiting into the cup because we've had two Stanley Cup riots, and so I do not care for that cup very much. <laughs> uh, what is the Vancouver team? Uh, the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, okay. And we've yeah. had tear gas in the streets, and things have gone nuts. And, yeah, it's, it's like, like no, the we're, New York Yankees. It's okay. Keep, keep it. Keep it. We don't want to win it. A Canuck is a bad person. <laughs> or the, I know Canuck the Crow. That's all I know. That's the Crow <laughs> he, of Vancouver. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the Maple Leafs. It's. Uh, I mean, America. There's the Texas Texans. So it's not like we're we're more creative, <laughs> uh, but well, yeah, we had we had two football teams called the Rough Riders. So yeah. <laughs> we're not uh, we're, we're you know we're not the most creative people either. <laughs> uh, so then it's the next day after Krusty has quite a bender. Lisa and Marge are watching something, and Lisa is definitely like Spanish speakers out there. Correct me on this. She is not translating that she's just making stuff up right like there's she does some character says by law which i believe means dance and lisa does not say dance so, oh but. i i didn't read it that way i just read that she was very frustrated with that marge kept asking her <laughs> but lisa's never been written as bilingual before though mm. so that's that i think it i i have a hard read on that start scene actually but now it's bart's turn to take the tv as it's, uh, as he turns on crusty the clown <laughs> and now here's crusty Kent Brockman, the clown, filling in for Krusty, the clown, who didn't come in today. He is presumed dead or on vacation. <laughs> Today's top joke, it seems a local moron threw his clock out the window. We'll tell you why right after this. Well, this sucks. I am out of here. I love that. The gag of the setup and then the punchline coming right after that yeah. in news, local news parlance. That's very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know it's actually very nice of Kent to sub in for Krusty when it's been established that Krusty would not want to eat a Danish that Kent yeah, Brockman he didn't touched. touch it, did he? <laughs> <laughs> I would get an action figure of uh, Kent Brockman the clown. That's a that's a good look. It's a, I do like that. It's pretty funny. I and uh, but it turns out that ba- uh, that he's not dead or on vacation. He's in the backyard of the Flanders. Is is. And uh, I like Rod and Todd poking him and smelling how evil he smells. That's very funny. I like how terrified they are when Bart scares them away. (laughs) Just by saying, like, get out of here. Like, they just run off. They... They are definitely um, making Rod and Todd less normal every appearance. They really the yeah. solve the problem. They're not good people, Rod and Todd. No. They just aren't. <laughs> they want to poke a dead clown a lot, but they uh, they really solve the problem of getting Krusty to the Simpsons. Like, yeah. how does he get there? Well, he winds up there drunk. <laughs> he got so drunk he teleported there. Uh, on the commentary, they say this is the first bloodshot eyes in the series. I specifically to see so. red nerves in his uh, eyes okay so when homer got drunk say when he was helping lisa recycle by drinking a bunch of cans his eyes were redder but it was just like a different shade it was not drawing the nerves or blood vessels in his eyes i i have trouble thinking of any other time a character before this had bloodshot eyes on the show they could be right there was no uh, the the him with the hose and the grease hose. That's l- much later, right? Because that's yeah. that's when yeah. he's having horrific eye injuries, <laughs> and they did have a lot of veins in Oof, the eyes for that. That was a quite a veiny high. Lenny yes. getting his eye injured. 
Oh, Lenny, yeah. (laughs) Not Lenny. (laughs) Um, And uh, yes, also, Krusty is his usual unrepentant drunk self who blames everything on everyone but himself. And uh, uh, that's just how it goes. But I I really like how Krusty, Bart, after he saves Krusty, his place is filled with Krusty merchandise, which we'd seen in the show to this point, including a Camp Krusty flag. That was nice, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Krusty is trying to get himself back together and he comes to a dark realization. Man, look at all the crap with my face on it. Krusty's personal swabs? What was I thinking? All these years I should have been working on my act, but I was too busy selling out. Now I'm just a tired old hack. (laughs) 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 Ah, ah, that burns! What the hell's on those things? Here, quick, use my crusty eye wash. No, not in your life. <laughs> I hope that's a combo pack you get. Uh, yeah, I washed to help together, you yeah. from the yeah. chemical burns. Though that's what I do. That's the one thing I don't get uh, about this uh, in the entire episode is like, uh, like dabbing your tears with a swab, like a Q-tip. I've would never that absorb done that. your tears. Is that how that would? Work? I guess. So. I guess they were nearby. But uh, if you look at Q-tips now. They tell you to do everything with them, but put them in your ears. Like, absolutely do not put these in your ears. Here are several other uses. Do not put them in your ears. You're wrong this entire time. (laughs) Get that smoky look with your makeup. Yeah. Do that. That's the one I always remember from the back of those boxes. Um, Dry your eyes with a Q-tip. What? (laughs) I get the setup for another joke, but the setup makes no sense to me. I love the animation, too, of Krusty trying to pull that tack out of his head. Yeah, like touching it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then... They say on the commentary they cut out a scene where Jay Leno is called. They just they realize it's funnier if he's just there than the next scene. Homer does point that out. Uh, yes, the bathing of a clown is this next clip. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Jay. Krusty really needs help. Uh, no question. I gotta freshen up my act. Jay, you're a professional comedian, right? Right? Answer me! Yes, now stop squirming. <laughs> Trying to get these tangles out. They are just impossible. Well, they are. (laughs) Anyway, don't you have some advice for Krusty? Well, these days people like observational humor about things they deal with in everyday life. Oh, yeah. You mean like when your lazy butler washes your sock garters and they're still covered with schmutz? Well, kind of. (laughs) But more universal. And maybe lose the miso-soli bit. Hey, whoa, whoa, let's not tamper with the classic. Shut up, kid. Come on, Leno. Tamper, teach, and part. Dad! Whoops, sorry, son. I didn't know you, Jay Leno, and a monkey were bathing a clown. Well, they are, so make with the loofah or get out. That's Homer is seconds away from removing his penis. Yeah, if Bart hadn't screamed, he would have. He just didn't even realize that his bathroom had multiple people in it. But that is a real uh, that's a real moment there of just recognizing like how ridiculous the show has become. The show has become and how a famous person being in their house is like, ah, it's Jay Leno. Eh, yeah, we've gotten from buying shoes in the mall in the most grounded, <laughs> realistic scene to you've just got to acknowledge there's a monkey and a clown in your bathroom, and Jay Leno is, uh, you know, Washing is giving him a bath. Hair. Yeah. Uh, I would think his hair would be really tangled. Like, he, it, based on the way Krusty's hair, which seems to be his natural hair, looks, uh, is very curly. And so, him after a bender, that's going to be very tangled up. Uh, it's a slight gay panic joke on them looking at parties, says, Well, they are. <laughs> like, uh, uh, yeah, and, that's a that's a weird one because yeah, he doesn't even sell it in that way. So 
it feels like the, probably the take was, okay, going to do this a little bit more gay. Then they're going to react. Then they decided we don't want to make it like that. That's terrible. Okay, but we're still going to have the reaction. Well, now it's both bad and doesn't make sense. Mm. And that's and so now Homer's going to take a whiz. So let's uh, <laughs> let's let's forget about. it. I guess it is weird for a kid to be that like uh, fastidious about washing someone's hair. Yeah, yeah. And it is but slightly that is gay. Bart. Bart likes fashion. He likes hair. That's he true. likes all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he'll he'll do a very effeminate thing in the next scene of pretending to be his mom and putting on a towel on his head to pretend to do it, which I love that moment just because it is, um, <laughs> I think the actors really like pretending to be Julie and doing the Marge voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. I think they really love that. I think like everyone in the writer's room pitches Marge lines as Marge too. Dana Gould said as much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah and also, the, the way Homer just like goes and be like, take that, Marge. Like, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> It's, uh, I like uh, I like as well just the idea of like Krusty goes I need to freshen up my act and bring it up to date and up to speed Jay Leno that's <laughs> the guy that you can't do oh nowadays that would be the joke in itself I feel like in 98 that's almost the joke they're making but not telling Jay Leno that they're making <laughs> it's that like, well of course you'll talk to me uh, yeah I uh, and yes Leno on the commentary is becomes a very old comedian when Krusty is reading off of his notebook in his next clip and Leno's like yeah the young comics today with their notebook reading off and i'm like oh boy you're like sometimes people have to look at their notes at a show give them a fucking break I've, I've heard old comedians get mad when like the stand-up love water yeah on stage. <laughs> uh that's yeah, just like well yeah. i went to the philharmonic and they had sheet music what's that about learn it <laughs> that's some real observational comedy just just like crusty crusty <laughs> hey, where's my water oh here it is all right. Hello. I'm a real person, and as a real person, <laughs> I've made some humorous observations about real life. For example, have you ever noticed how there are two phone books? A white one and a yellow one? <laughs> like, what's the deal with that? One's residential, the other is business. Oh. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> what are they thinking next? Blue pages? They have those. They're government listings. <laughs> I see. Uh, what about two cent stamps? Pizza pie is very hot these days. Uh, <laughs> can't open pickle jars. No mail on Sunday. How do paper towels? Are... Oh, oh, oh! What's the deal with cardboard? Boo! <laughs> All right, let's just move on to notebook two. I really gotta get dinner started. Me too. I also have to go. Boo! Oh. <laughs> I, I do love the immediate uh, Marge line after let's move on to notebook two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that that whole bit was great. Just the that is bad delivery of bad stand-up of just like, well, the pizza pie is hot this day. Like uh, it's not he write he wrote bad material and performs it poorly. Like that's just it it shows he's not ready for, for current day comedy, seemingly. And uh, pizza pie is very hot these days. I love that statement of just like Okay. The last time he did comedy, pizza was new. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that reminds me of Andy Kindler had a great joke about bad stand-ups in the 90s who say, like, sugar-free chocolate, who's that for? It's for diabetics. That's yeah. who that's for. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Diabetics? <laughs> oh, what's this insulin about? What's that? Uh, and then a third thing. That's uh, that's another. I'm just doing my favorite Andy Kindler material here. Love Andy Kindler. Yeah, it's if it, 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 people haven't read the Hacks hand 
Man book. Uh, look it up and 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 give it a read. It's uh, it's pretty great. <laughs> I love his uh, State of the Union thing he does every Toronto uh, Just for Laughs festival. I enjoy him yelling at Ricky Gervais on Twitter. Always. <laughs> I think he stopped doing that now. Aww. But uh... yeah, <laughs> Krusty has to face facts, and it's time for him to read a poignant poem. And the name died before the man. Krusty, does this have a point? Yes, I'm quitting show business. I was just trying to go out with a little class, you jackass. But, Krusty, why now? Why not 20 years ago? Because <laughs> comedy ain't funny anymore. Instead of time-tested jokes about women drivers and doctor bills, you got some big chin schlub reading typos from the Palookaville Post. Well, here's a headline for you. Nobody cares. <laughs> hey. Washed your hair. These <laughs> comics today. Ooh, look at me. I can't set my VCR. I can't open a bag of airline peanuts. I'm a freaking moron. Krusty's <laughs> <laughs> going nuts. Then you got these lady comics talking about stuff that would embarrass Red Fox. God rest his smutty soul. Who they slept with. What time they sit on the can. This is supposed to get you a husband? <laughs> What the hell are you laughing at? I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> and it's funny. It is? In that case, I'm proud to announce my triumphant <laughs> return to comedy. <laughs> so Krusty was reading the poem To an Athlete Dying Young by A.E. Houseman. And I actually read the poem today. He sort of edits. He sort of like cuts out a paragraph <laughs> gotta, between those two lines. They got to punch it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't have all the time in the world. I got time for a whole poem. <laughs> I love him shitting on headline typo comedy. That's uh, that Jay Leno can take it too. He's like, hey, like I, I like that. I. Uh, but also, I think that uh, Homer identifies the real line between telling it like it is comics and a crazy person being very thin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, what you said, what you said earlier about like the kind of anti-woman, uh, you know, comedy comedy thing. Uh, something that bothers me in that is, you know, we're like, uh, this is supposed to get you a husband, and it's like, all right, that's all, right. all about that. And someone, yeah, he's just telling the truth. All these women should be just looking for husbands. That's yes. what they should be. We agree. That is that is correct. Like, <laughs> wait a minute. That's not that's not telling the truth at, yeah. at all. What's it's, what's what's that about? It still feels like a regressive part of Krusty's act. Yeah. Where like he's supposed to be very Carlin-y, like ranty yeah. '90s comic, and obviously dressing like George Carlin. That was never really a feature of Carlin's act. Not like, that I recall. Sexist no. stuff really wasn't didn't factor in. I'm sure he was lightly sexist in the way a lot of '90s comedians were, not really sure. realizing it, but not not this intense. No, it feels like he even more than Carlin. Though I know he's definitely just Carlin. It it feels more like a Bill Hicks type thing to me. Oh, that yeah. was the that was the comedian around that era who was the real telling it like it is guy he was more of a ranter yeah yeah but more but but like almost all the telling it like it is guy he was using very broad stereotypes (laughs) and then people going like that's the truth well no not not at all it's it's an easy it's an easy generalization that you're doing and uh, it sounds shocking and it could be entertaining and that's fine but uh, don't confuse this in any way with telling the truth (laughs) whereas like even if carlin did tell the truth he'd he'd make sure that he did a lot of verbal trickery and uh, wordplay to actually like color, color it in and uh, and uh, people that were trying to be Carlin-esque really did not 
pick up on the cleverness part of it and instead just yeah. went, hey, this, women need a husband. I'm like, all right, fine, yeah, I, whatever. And, the, and your defense is like, well, I told it like it is. Do you not like the truth? It's like, I don't like bad comedy. That's Yeah, I, I feel like uh, I'm not a fan of Hicks. Uh, that could be sacrilege. I loved him a lot in the 90s. I haven't uh, listened to him in a while. I got into, I tried listening to him too late, but I feel like he, uh, I'm sure if he did survive cancer or didn't have cancer, he'd grow into a better comedian in my mm-hmm. opinion, but I feel like he influenced a lot of bad men where it just oh, like, yeah. he says what he thinks, I'm going to say what he, I think, and yeah. I won't back down ever. And uh, <laughs> from a lot of the comedy I've heard of him, he was not a huge fan of women. He had issues mm. with women, it seemed like. A few, yeah. a few, yeah. Uh, the Hicks bits I liked as a kid were the ones that questioned power more so and like shit on the, uh, you know, desert storm of just like, this sucks. Like, those are the things I liked about it. Not so much the hate of women. Well, let, I mean, let's talk a little bit about post this era of Carlin too. I loved it at the time. And now when I've gone back to watch some of it, I'm like, this is, I think we all were a little too buying. And we were drinking the Kool-Aid a little too hard on Carlin. Not that he wasn't funny, but when I watched his modern man, I'm a modern man. I'm a download on upswing and a zip down on the download. <laughs> wow. Like that shit's, I, that's not exactly what we said. Yeah. But that shit yeah. sucked. That whole modern man thing. I, it's just, it's a performance that is three times as long as it has to be. And it's just showing off that he can memorize things like, uh, I'm a, vet, uh, I'm a meat free, dairy free, Zippo free. Like it's just, I hate it. I, it's, it's not funny. <laughs> it's very close to slam poetry. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the rhythm that he's using and it's, it's okay, but it's like, Mm, yeah it's it's people that say that it's brilliant well if something's brilliant to you and it connects with you that's great and i can't argue with that if it you have some sort of connection with it but yeah i think i think people did cut that a lot of slack and then the the impersonators of him really did not get the things that made it good and then we got so many copycats and it was uh, it was rough for a while and as carlin as a living legend doing not bad material that will get so much applause because mm-hmm. you're like you're a living legend and you're doing still good work not maybe even great work but that gets you a lot more credit than being an average guy and a young person doing great work and he's a future guest of the show yeah, oh, yeah. well and also yeah that his modern man thing last thing i'll say about that bit that i hate is that if you watch it the audience applauds real hard like three times in it because they're like and that's the end of it, right? Yay, you did a good job. And he's like, nope, time to go in for some more. I'm like, <laughs> no, read the audience. They want you to stop, but they're applauding you. Did you ever see Rick Moranis do his uh, George Carlin? Oh, oh I yeah. haven't. Yeah. He have did not. He did it in front of George Carlin once at a show, and he went up and uh, did it. And it's all basically just doing the setups and the, the ideas, and there's really no punchlines. And that's the whole idea, then looking around and picking another card out. And when he went back into the audience, George Carlin was there, and he was expecting it was going to be like, ah, that's great. And uh, George Carlin really, really didn't like Aww. it. He just went, you know, that was pretty low, man. Damn. Just didn't, <laughs> didn't like being made fun of, uh, you know, that thing. It's, it's like, no, that's... Uh, it's a, these irreverent it's, comics, for some reason, have no sense of humor about themselves. <laughs> this is... Uh, Interesting that uh, that God rest his smutty soul line with Red Fox. That uh, it was Mike Scully who worked on a show. Red Fox died. Yeah, on, I believe right? the royal family is yeah. the one he worked mm, on. Yeah. yeah, which like Red Fox says dirtier things than I got my period today. Like so, he's also Krusty's yeah, yeah. wrong there too. <laughs> then we get Krusty's new stand up and friends of the show. Citations needed. They talk about how Bill Maher is like the Blink One Eighty Two of comedy, <laughs> where it. Uh-huh. Pre- it pretends to be transgressive, but it really isn't. And that's kind of what Krusty's thing is like. It's not, 
it's kind of against power, but it's more like performative of like, see, I'm calling it like it is about commercials. Uh, yeah, Bill, Bill Maher every week gets very angry at his audience who turn on him more every week. Good. And, and I've never seen anyone be more angry with their crowd as they're, they're just like clearly they're breaking up and they're still going out and you're like, maybe you guys should really see other people. This audience should go see another show. Maybe you should go do your thing somewhere else. But mm, I don't know. Uh, well, and Bill Maher and Bill Maher before his stand-up shows, uh, he starts off by going, uh, "This ain't a safe space." And my thing on that uh, is always, "Of course it is. It's your safe space. Yes. <laughs> this is, this no is one absolutely else, can, yeah. everything to make you happy. No one else can take the microphone from you. Yeah. No <laughs> one demands their laughter other than you here. And just his God, his stand. Yeah, I listened to some of his recent stand-up. It's just so lame. Anything that people would share in just like a general email of like the president doesn't have many thoughts in his head. Hmm, like uh, God, he sucks. He sucks. This is just me being mad at every comedian. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about like uh, Bill Maher to me and President Trump is that, uh, you know, they're both so similar in that like they both hang out at the Playboy Mansion. They're both famous for not being politically correct. There's like so many things that the two of them, they're both like from another era where that was their glory era and they're living now and both really annoyed that they're living now. <laughs> and it's like there's so much that's the same yeah. that when he, they go after each other, it's just like, well, this seems ridiculous. They, you're, you're, you're basically the same person. They're both so ugly, ugly men. They both both have yeah. carefully molded hair to make you think yeah. they're not bald. Uh, the only difference is that like Bill Maher is ridiculously obsessed with like food he eats. He's like, Oh, I only eat natural things. It's like, yeah, you're going to live to be a hundred buddy. That's sure for you. Like, and, and also, I mean, they both hate women quite a lot too. And Muslims, they really hate those people the same. Yeah. Uh, so more similarities than, uh, than not. Yeah, and so it really drives me crazy when people think he's like the voice of liberalism still. <laughs> and it's like he barely, I don't think you really could call him that even like 2004, but fucking now? Absolutely no not. Way. Yeah, I made a big deal about giving a million dollars to Obama and then uh, kept trying to get him on his show for like two years and he wouldn't come on his show. And it's like, of course uh, he can't uh, come on your show. You bought him. If he shows up, <laughs> you're going to mention that and that's going to be terrible. You <laughs> idiot. You, you can't do it that way. Uh, but why do we hear Krusty's stand-up mm. that's, uh, that's so much better than Bill Maher's? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I'm watching TV today. <laughs> Woo! TV, yeah! All I keep seeing is dead celebrities hawking products. They got poor Vincent Price floating around on a toilet cake telling me about the horrors of an unfresh bowl. <laughs> and I tell you something else. I do not believe Winston Churchill would eat that Dervina schnitzel. <laughs> There's nothing those Madison Avenue gray robbers won't do to get us to buy their crap. <laughs> Impeach Churchill! <laughs> well, here's one dollar those crooks aren't going to get their hands on. <gasps> oh. uh, isn't that illegal? I don't care if it is illegal. I'm making a stand here. Who's with me? I am. I work like a dog for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're burning it all wrong, Seymour. It's my allowance, Mother, and I'll burn it the way I want. <laughs> Take that, you greedy fat cats. March, give me your purse. There's $42. It's everything I have. Run home and bury it in the yard. I love you, Mom. <laughs> 
So they're referring to a famous uh, Dirt Devil commercial from the 90s. Ah, yes. In which Fred Astaire was made to dance with a vacuum cleaner. And people were like, is this what we've come to as a nation, as a society? <laughs> my, my opinion is who cares? Uh, and it also, we are far past that yeah, now, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, now, here's my, uh, sorry, my, my thing on this is like, it, it, here he comes. He's, he's going to be cutting edge. Here's the freshest, hottest new material. First joke, it's a tidy bowl joke. Like, <laughs> wow, yeah. making fun of commercials. This is it's just a weird call uh, that that's your first thing. And everyone's like, yeah, now he's back. It's just it's like, a, that, there's nothing hackier than that. It's very, safe too like everyone would agree with that yeah it's again blink 182 of comedy like fake transgressive uh i mean you know it is to call out commercials is bad it's like that's at least you it does tie into him no longer being a sellout that he's saying i do like the comedy that him saying how much he hates commercials is getting him a commercial job that's That's right yeah that is good that does make sense you're right yeah Yeah, the the arc then does make sense yeah so it's good in that way but you're right not very cutting edge to complain about commercials like i don't know what the thing about likeness rights are after you die or Mm. using archival footage or whatever i have to assume that um there are newer rules in the books but i feel like it's your responsibility as a famous person to make sure that's settled before you die otherwise you'll be like colonel sanders (laughs) well (laughs) Well, you know, yeah, that's true. Well, you know, though, uh, sometimes the even if you put it in your will, you can renegotiate rights like that. I'd heard that was the thing with Mary Poppins that the creator Mary Poppins said they they would never, she would never authorize a sequel from Disney. Once she died, then her children or her beneficiaries were like, you know what? No, we would like to license it again to Disney. Here you go. Marilyn Monroe, like a company owns her image Mm. and it must be licensed if you want to use it. Elvis too. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, I wonder like with Marilyn Monroe, she did not plan on dying. It was like an overdose or a mob hit, whatever you want to call it. I don't think she negotiated her likeness rights. Like, boy, if they make a CGI commercial of me in 40 years, I want my family to be in on this. You know, I don't know like what the rights are for that. Well, this Fred Astaire thing, when they're making these jokes, they couldn't imagine hologram Tupac at Coachella. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and, and all that shit that just makes you go like, is this respectful? Is this what the person would have wanted? You know, and I also think, you know, to get extra morbid, do you really think Dan Castellaneta's ghost won't be selling things for Disney in 2050? That's true. That's like, true, yeah. It will be. That's just kind of how it goes. Like, especially Disney kind of steamrolls whatever copyright they need to. The way they handled Star Wars has kind of been like, they, for one, just reanimated Peter Cushing to be Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, do you think he signed <laughs> off on that before he died? Like, yeah, make me a robot. But oppositely, they said that they would not reanimate Princess Leia digitally for uh, Carrie Fisher after her death. They said they yeah. wouldn't do it, at least right now, 20 years from now, who knows? But that's what they at least did then. Then meanwhile, just the burning of money is just a very, it's again, a very silly way to stick it to the man. It's just like, you should spend your money differently burning your money <laughs> i work like a dog for this i love that yeah and and then they're all caught in the mania of it like that's an insane thing too and i love uh, the like loving desperation between yes. marge and lisa there too that they probably had conversations like that a lot it's so like rushed mm. they've been through this before and i like the little like scene in the sting after where it's like a very minor second song moment where they see each other and they, they, they give each other they see each other and they give each other a thumbs up like yes, okay we yeah. did this we hit the money uh well, yeah, I love I love that to see that aspect of their relationship. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, this next bit, if I may 
pick the line of the episode. This is just very much because I love when telling it like it is guys get told like it is and they don't like it. (laughs) So uh, this scene is definitely my, my line of the episode. If you'll allow me the jingle, Bob. Yes, please, please. That's the joke. Sorry, it's like a nuclear code. We both have to like turn the key at the same time. (laughs) Uh, But yes, Homer is telling it like it is. Wow. You're hanging on his every word. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I hope so. I thought I made myself clear in Boston. That is a good joke. I like that joke. <laughs> From now on, I'm going to be just like Krusty and tell it like it is. Marge, you're getting a little fat around the old thighs. Dad! You too, Bart. Oh, knock it off, Homer. You're the fattest one in the car. You didn't have to tell it like it is, Marge. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's uh, <laughs> very, very yeah. observational. It's so yeah, great. Th- that is the Bill Maher story in a nutshell right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he he tells it like it is to every person. And, uh, I mean, his Stan Lee one was really something else. So he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I remember when comic books were for children. And maybe if you read a real book, you wouldn't care about Stan Lee. And I was just like, when was, what was the last book you fucking read, Bill Maher? <laughs> Tell me the high art you enjoy. Because I think you just get stoned fall asleep on the hooker and don't wait and wake back up again to your miserable fucking life. <sighs> Boy, we don't like Bill Maher on this podcast, he, do we? <laughs> but I, but I love Homer's reaction. Like you didn't have to tell it like it is <laughs> that he's the most fragile person there. And then especially but that the, is always the case, by the way, with the people who are the meanest, they all are the most vulnerable. You look at the biggest comedic bullies and they really are the softest inside and can be hurt. Uh, you know, so, so easily, You'll, you'll always find you look like an Andrew Dice Clay, oh, and then yeah. if you see any candid footage of him, it's like, oh man, that guy got oh, he's he's a really sensitive fella. He does not <laughs> like anything uh, you know being said about him. Oh boy, that really yeah. hits him pretty deep. Then back on the stage with the crazy over the top persona. Yeah, everyone said that Don Rickles was like the nicest guy off stage, mm-hmm. like a very uh, sensitive guy, and all of his insults on stage were playful. Yeah, yeah, I, and, and he, racist. And they would end with him saying, "I'm a nice guy." Yeah. Like that, oh no, they were racist, but it also was just the exception of like well he's your grandpa i always put him in racist grandpa territory he's like well it's my grandpa and he's he's an equal opportunity offender blah 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 like yeah but it, and, no. uh, and if you go to see a if you went to see a don rickles show you knew what you were getting mm-hmm. and if you were the person who was like surprised by this it was like well what what did you miss the last like 60 years <laughs> yeah. this yeah. is what he does it's a it's a clown it's a crazy thing it's not real i understand the material can be you know offensive but I, I think you also, if you're going to do that kind of stuff, you actually have to be nice or you're going to be terrible because yeah. you've got to have some sort of ethical boundaries that you will not cross and you'll have to know the exact target. It's such a tight strike zone to get it just right. Yeah. Yeah. You're there to be zinged like a poo. <laughs> if you see <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that uh, you know, Lindsay Ellis had a really great uh, YouTube essay. I, I really enjoy about the producers and Mel Brooks stuff because uh, a favorite thing for Republicans to say is that you could make blazing saddles now. And it's just like, I agree with them because you couldn't make a film about how racist white people are without <laughs> Republicans getting angry. But uh, but what they are saying is everyone's too sensitive now. You can't do that. And to Republicans who say that, I would say, then watch me burn a flag right now and see how much you love being offended. <laughs> exactly. Lindsay, I- like, well, to me, it, it always with that, when they whenever they say that, I go like, oh, let me just see how many years South Park's been on the air. 
Oh, 20. Yeah. You know, and, and there's they've done stuff that's like so much more offensive than than Blazing Saddles. Yeah. And Blazing Saddles, the the big thing in that was like fart jokes, and fart jokes are in kids shows now. What are you talking about that you couldn't do that now? Blazing Saddles, if you made yeah. it now, it would be not special. Like, I mean, I personally think Mel Brooks could not make Blazing Saddles today because he's 96 years old and probably very tired. So yes. that movie could definitely and, not and, be made and today. And because Richard Pryor is dead. Oh, yeah. And, and Gene Wilder. those jokes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but again, that's uh, I'm just getting mad at everybody right now. Comedy <laughs> comedy makes me angry. <laughs> it's supposed to make you angry. It's yeah, comedy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I really do like the little story between those two uh, agents. That it says so much, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it? Like they don't even have names. <laughs> but I thought I made myself clear in Boston. <laughs> One agent keeps thinking like you're sending me signals, right? He's like, no, I am not. Thank you. Like, but he's not. They still work together. He's he's just like I don't want to sleep with you, but let, we have a job to do here. <laughs> just he his curtness of removing the hand of just like I yeah. thought not pulling away again and you know the gay panic thing. It's just like come on, we, we yeah talked about, yeah that's exactly that's the way, that's the way you play it. It's good. and we are in ninety eight. They did not give him a quote unquote gay voice yeah, when they could yeah. have. I mean, I his like turtleneck is a little gay. That's I true. <laughs> uh, but Krusty hates selling out. He is totally anti-selling out now. He's so cool that he's in a coffee shop called Java the Hut, which are so cool right now. And uh, then Krusty is offered to sell his soul. Oh, and there is one cut scene before this, oh. which is not funny. It's just the comedians discussing how great Krusty is. Oh, uh, okay. It's like Janine and Stephen Wright and Bruce Baum discussing how you know Krusty's rise to fame is impressing even them. They are at the coffee shop. In yeah. Bra- we still see him in the broadcast version but yeah okay that makes sense why they're there now yeah so they've never left town after the uh, charity show <laughs> i guess not like, they... clearly at least like a week ago or something yeah they're still around there's so many comedy okay. clubs in springfield that we don't see <laughs> they're all staying in the same comedy condo full of uh, mm. disgusting things but anyway yes crusty is uh gets quite an offer i'm proud of you crusty Oh, sure, I've got material success, my own show, acres of cars, nice microwave oven. <laughs> but you're out there on the edge. You're doing it for the sheer thrill. And if I wasn't so afraid of clowns, I'd give you a big hug. <laughs> Excuse me, Krusty. We've been watching you Moe's all week, and your credibility is just... Wow. Get to the point, Armani. Well, we think you'd be the perfect spokesman for our company's new sports utility vehicle, the Canyon Arrow. I guess you Wall Street weasels didn't get the word. Krusty's not for sale. But you endorse everything. In fact, this endorsement contract comes from your line of legal forms. <laughs> uh, it's a quality form. But those things are behind me. I don't chill for nobody no more. Are you sure? Because we're prepared to offer you a free, fully loaded Canyon Arrow. Well... <laughs> <laughs> No! Take your corporate blood wagon and get the hell out! Are you sure? It's free! Stop saying that! <laughs> so, his hair reacts to it. That's great, in the boing sound. So we're entering the era of SUVs mm. and jokes about them. And in the late 90s, gas couldn't be cheaper. <laughs> I remember when I started driving, uh, it was actually right before 9-11 I started driving at age 19. Gas was 99 cents a gallon. Wow, yeah, I remember that too. Those are good times. Yeah. Good times of, now I don't drive a car anymore. I've got $20. I can fill my tank. <laughs> sure, let's do it. Well, and uh, yeah, you know, it's only a year from now that Marge will be a uh, Range Rover mom and uh, mm. and, cr- and dry and get road rage. I uh, and the Canyon Arrow is. I mean, the best stuff comes later. I do love the Canyon Arrow though, just in design and the name too. Canyon Arrow. 
I mean, she gets a Canyon Arrow in that episode, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Can- and they play That's the song. Right. They reprise the song there. I was just going to say, it feels like you're almost getting close to something with Jay Leno there, where mm-hmm. at that time, Jay was kind of known as the sellout guy. He was the Doritos guy. And he was also the car guy, as he sort of briefly mentions. So it's interesting that someone's coming up to like Krusty next to him and going like, uh, I want you to sell out for a car. It just feels like there's something <laughs> there yeah. that they could have connected a little bit more with. It's just no. Jay's done and uh, we're going to move on. I recall mm. Bill Hicks making a lot of jokes about Jay Leno, like yeah. even before the Tonight Show thing <laughs> yes, for being I mean, a sellout. I mean, the Doritos yeah. stuff was, you can see that as selling out, sure. But in t- compare this to today's day and age where not only do comedians sell out, but they do it to do ads on their podcasts for probably far less than Krusty gets for his Canyon Arrow deal. I mean, we talked about this, uh, I, I forget which podcast that was on, it's recent recording, but I just talked about how um, I love podcast ads because there was no other context in which i can hear gilbert godfrey tell me about cryptocurrency <laughs> or chewable erection medication like yeah. every guy has to do that now because mm. it's assumed if you're a podcast listener you're a loser your hair is falling out and you can't get hard <laughs> yeah it also it's basically if you stay up past midnight and you just start watching tv yeah everything is yeah you, you can't get it you can't get it up you can't get it done you can't get anything like <laughs> You're gonna die. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. That's the uh, where the Mister Plow ad would air. Alcoholics, Uh, the dangerous, and uh, alone, the unemployable. Uh, And I do. I do actually like listening to podcast ads because, and you know, you guys do it well. You're all fine. But it's like uh, it's very difficult for people to transition into an ad. They don't have that skill. And that's exactly what it used to be like on old timey TV, where you know the 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 host of a show had to, in the middle of their show, just turn and go, yeah, Colgate toothpaste, and like make it smooth and make it make sense and it's uh, it's <laughs> such a throwback to the old timey days of show business yep. that uh, i find it quite charming paul harvey and i will listen to the ads because of because i'm like this could go anywhere <laughs> i do like that yeah. yeah paul harvey was the master of that when i was listening <laughs> to him back in his later later years it's like wow i'm in an ad i didn't realize it but i'm in an ad <laughs> uh, well i mean now today like i really enjoy conan o'brien's podcast but it is still weird to me to hear him start out by saying you know mattresses are a real thing huh I'm like wow this is where conan's at huh like I feel like we're all if, a slave to the mattress uh, industry now. If, if a mattress company paid him, they'd have to pay him a lot of money for him to say that on his TV show. But I'm betting he's not getting a similar rate. I'm sure he's getting paid fine, uh, but I doubt he's getting a TV kind of rate to do that kind of selling out on his on his podcast. Which, though, as I get older, I also care less about selling out and like, oh, you cheapen everything you sell out because uh, the most compelling argument pro selling out I heard from a comedian was David Cross, where he said, uh, if you love Mr. Show or even my, or Arrest Development or even my most recent stuff, uh, Todd Margaret, know that I made no money on those. And in fact, in some cases lost money. The only way I afford to have a home I can live in and actually get paid is doing Alvin and the fucking chipmunks. (laughs) So how about you just give me this guys? Can you just give me that, please. I was like, "That's fair." That's yeah, fair. yeah. Mr. Show like, should even in podcasts, it's like such good value. It's either free <laughs> or just a couple of bucks, and you get all this entertainment. It's like, I'll listen to an ad. Of course, this yeah. is fine. I got. I feel like I got a social contract here. <laughs> well, I'll listen. I can't. I'm not getting another mattress, but I'll listen to your ad. It'll be fine. <laughs> and and I don't think any like Tim and Eric are two of my favorite funny guys, and they're two are currently doing ads for a certain mattress company. I'm not going to name here. They don't get free advertising for me, uh, but they are doing. <laughs> 
doing a bunch of ads for a mattress company, and I don't think any less of them. I think these are funny ads, huh? Nice. It's nice yeah. to see Tim and Eric back together. And if I mean, someone catches a sub sandwich in their mouth in the middle of a movie and it takes you out of the movie, that's also fine. Yeah. Nothing wrong with selling out in that regard. It's totally fine. Ebert was wrong. Best scene in the movie. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, Krusty is telling it like it is one more time to his audience. And my secondary line of the show is Homer talking about pants because anytime yeah, yeah. an online commenter says like, why didn't you talk about a thing that had nothing to do with what you were talking about, but I wanted to hear about it. I think, don't you hate pants? Like, ah, uh, but yes, here, here's the Krusty's final stand-up routine. I brought a bag of money in case he wants us to burn it again. I hope he tells us to burn our pants. <laughs> These things are driving me nuts. So this afternoon, two suits come up to me and ask me to endorse some new sports utility vehicle. What'd you do? <laughs> don't you hate pants? I threw those two creeps out on their ass. <laughs> Then they followed me home, begging me to take a test drive. And let me tell you, talk about roomy. The Canyon Arrow combines the smooth handling of a European sports car with the rugged drivability of a sturdy 4x4. Hey, Krusty, what are you talking about? I, I thought you said those guys were creeps. Yeah, but that was before I got to know them. And I'm telling you, the Canyon Arrow is the Cadillac of automobiles. That's Canyon Arrow. <laughs> the Cadillac of automobiles. Uh, they all turn on him there. He also says he has other material and like the quality of computer porn. Like that was a that was correct to <laughs> complain about in '98. It was poor quality then. Uh, but that I love how easily he transitions into selling out and great acting on Dan of just like so. I told him that it didn't die. like it. Did, the turn is really good there. Uh, and also he just gives up on his hair, his Carlin hair. I do love that these top puff comes down yeah. into the tie in the back. That's it's really nice. Cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that he just quickly sells out. And I was like, Krusty, come on. We we loved you. Why did you sell out in your second stand-up performance as George win- Carlin? He still thinks he can win them over by selling out. Yeah. yeah, well, also I love his stance of like, yeah, but that was before I got to know him. Like, that's that's how sellouts all say. Like, well, you, you're not having these getting wined and dined. You don't know how cool these rich people are. They're great. Uh, I also kind of wonder uh, if Springfield actually would be bothered by that. I know you need it uh, for the plot turn at this point, but it just feels like, I think people would like be on board with the Canyon Arrow. And uh, it, it, Springfield gets duped real easily and is very, you know, you just sing him a song about a monorail and it's going to, it's going <laughs> to work out for him. Yeah. Just, just, you know, I, I'm, I'm shocked that Homer isn't like down with like getting a Canyon Arrow at the end of it. He's actually outraged by this ethical choice Krusty has made. And uh, again, it works for a joke, but I don't know if it works for a character thing. It feels like that's, that's not a Homer thing to do. Well, Homer personally, I think he's just mad that he didn't talk about pants. That's, <laughs> That's a good point. Fair enough. <laughs> but no, you're right. Everybody else turns on him too. And they really should just be like, burning their money was stupid. Why isn't buying a Canyon Arrow as convincing to them too? But uh, yeah, everyone's a sellout in Springfield. <laughs> Kent Brockman's a sellout. Uh, the doctors are all sellouts. They'll, they'll all ethically bend uh, for, for anything like that. That's kind of the, the way Springfield works. But again, I understand plot wise. This is where we got to go. So this is where we're going to go. It leads us to the Canyon Arrow song. Yes. Well, oh, okay. So good. So we have Krusty's sellout ending first which I do like that I wish more comedians
comedians would be as honest with themselves as Krusty of just like, I was not in this for the comedy. I did it to sell out and be rich. Like, that's why I did this. I also note here, I think there's a little bit of an echo on Bart saying this is roomy to make you feel the ah, size okay. of the canyon mm-hmm. arrow. Interesting. But Let's hear it. Maybe, maybe I'm misjudging this. <gasps> Wait, where are you going? I still got plenty of beefs. Fat-free yogurt. The, 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 the quality of computer porn. Uh, I knew I should have gone on first. I don't get it, Krusty. You said you would never be a shill again. Meh. (laughs) I learned something about myself tonight, kid. It ain't comedy that's in my blood. It's selling out. Come on, I'll give you a ride home. Wow, this is roomy. A little bit of an echo, I can hear. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think you're right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it really helps with the roominess of it. But yeah, okay, Canyon Arrow. Let's talk about. Is it? I think it might be the funniest thing in the Scully years. I think it's, it might be. I laughed a lot when I first saw it because it comes out of nowhere. You're not yeah. expecting, and I love how it drives the Fox logo away. And there's more <laughs> song. So, they're, yeah. they're so committed. They're like, we fucking love this song, and we're gonna double the length yeah. of it. I also like the very clunky but clever rhyme and unexplained fires are a matter for the courts. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like yeah. they're getting the legalese out of the way, like their uh, legal problems. Like, And then they got Hank Williams Jr. to do it, yeah. which is who you would hire. And uh, he is a old crank and a big racist. But man, he was funny here. I got to give it to him. Like, he, was, he just wanted to know if we're ready for football yes, all the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I just wonder, like, uh, like, first of all, I really love the fake out ending where it thinks it's done, but it's not done. That's absolutely outstanding but i think like just tonally something to do with this which is great is the the episode started so grounded so completely <laughs> normal and nor and normally now i feel the episode would begin with this kind of canyon arrow thing where everything's bizarre and crazy and then they'd have a hard time finding a place to go to justify but because we built it all the way up and you've never seen anything like the deer being hit and the fires <laughs> and anything here the most bizarre thing was crusty taking a bath you know when we get to this oh it's just it's such a great strong ending because you haven't played any of these beats yet of uh, being in wacky town yeah. and now we're and it works in a commercial you justify it that way yeah and, and it, uh, it just it's such a great ending that you couldn't do if you made it all crazy banana pants at the very start and i don't think they'd done a parody of this uh you know tough guy truck commercial yet mm. no, mm. i don't think so yeah it is all american it is impressively gas guzzling and killing animals left and right deer not safe for highway or city driving (laughs) and yeah there's no way jay leno didn't buy one of these immediately afterwards and and also just the line my favorite line is it's the country fried truck endorsed by by a clown clown. (laughs) Uh, my favorite visual of that i wanted to gif it and i will when i promote this episode is the uh, boy scouts getting their bus run off the road then they get out and salute the canyon arrow out of the windows as the fire is spreading like they're dying but they have to salute (laughs) My favorite is that it's so all-American and celebrating the country, and it ends with them burning the flag. Like, the flag is burned in this all-American thing by the Canyonero brand, which is just, when you take it out... They, like, brand the flag, right? Yeah, yeah, the Canyonero, and it burns down, which is how, like, Malcolm X begins, and it's a statement (laughs) about burning down America. But in this case, it's so great that you can just imagine the ad guys thinking, oh, and it'd be cool if it burned, like, the uh, banana intro but they make it the flag without even thinking about how you know sacrilegious it is to burn it's so funny that i didn't even realize that oh they just burned a flag in front of me that's great (laughs) i love that they sneak that by yeah that's so great uh man i 
fuck, that ending is great. They talk about how they were going to have the credits over it, but they're like, this is too good. We can't distract people with credits. We got to We have another verse. So they yeah. just deleted enough scenes to get it there so they could have regular credits at the end of the episode. It's Yeah, I don't want to be the guy <sighs> who says, like, uh, you, it was better in the past, it's harder now, but I think they have a much harder time sticking the landing at the endings now when they've got to do those little short segments at yeah. the very, very end. Yeah. And uh, it's great seeing an ending that's just like, boom, there it all <laughs> led to this. The last note I wanted to say about the writer of this episode, Donnick Carey, there's a funny bit where on the commentary, Jay at the start says, oh, Donna, yeah, she wrote a great script. Uh, He doesn't (laughs) realize that Donnick is in the room. When they hang up on Jay Leno on the commentary as it's about to end, Donnick says, I'm not a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was fun. And also when they say, I never noticed this until the commentary, it goes too fast even for Frankieck. You can't see it. But when they point to the candy, arrow outside in the coffee shop there's a zip pan over the coffee shop and it's mike scully donna carey and ron haugie in the coffee shop you see really? them okay. for like a tenth oh. of a frame like it's really like, yeah i can't catch that i guess uh no i mean not in the single screen meme version so yeah, yeah. it goes really fast Interesting. but this episode is a really good episode that i think had a lot to say about stand-up then and uh in in wakens and me a lot of feelings about stand-up now too me too and it brought yeah. us the canyon arrow one of my favorite like little bits you can isolate and just watch and enjoy on yeah. its own it was great to see it while we were in line at uh, universal that's for right instance. yeah yeah I forgot, always yeah. funny it's interesting to me like with uh with stand-up comics no matter how edgy you are whether you're george carlin or a bobcat goldthwaite or even a richard pryor you're never too edgy to also have a kids tv series because they've <laughs> yeah. all had children's series and I mean, people are totally fine fine with that i almost would have liked to have seen a little bit of like what's crusty's tv show like now while he's yeah. this type of crusty I mean, George Carlin was Mr. Conductor on Shining Time Station. Yeah. Damn yeah. right. Yeah. Richard Pryor had a Saturday morning show called Pryor's Place. Less than like Bob five Bob Goldthwait was in the Police Academy animated series. Yeah. Now they all, they all sell out to a degree, but I mean, wouldn't you want to be rich? They brought a dump truck full of money to my house. I'm not made of stone. <laughs> That's right. We've uh, David crossed it. He needs to chipmunk the thing, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. After Patton Oswalt says no, he gets it and he does it and that'll all be fine. <laughs> the Kenny Narrow is his squeak wool. But uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us, Ian. You have to go. But number yes. one, I want to say that uh, Happy Gilmore available on uh, Laserdisc, <laughs> Betamax, Blu-ray, DVD, and on your favorite digital download services. Find it now. But Ian, what are you working on currently? Not in 1996. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I've got, as you mentioned, I've got that book, uh, Sparks, that I do with Nina Matsumoto and my friend uh, David Dedrick about two cats that uh, want to be heroes. No one takes cats seriously as heroes. So they dress up as a dog and they save the world and that's out from Scholastic. Got uh, Exorcisters uh, from Image Comics, which is just the first five issues has been collected. That is in stores now. And I'm working on uh, Mad Magazine. Uh, got cartoons in the New Yorker on a pretty regular basis with my wife Pia Guerra. Uh, I'm going to plug her TV series Why that's coming out from FX in a couple of months. I cannot wait to see that. I'm a big I'm a big Why fan. I didn't want to make this about your spouse, but uh, (laughs) Why was really great. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Uh, We went to New York to see the uh, shooting of the first pilot, uh, the pilot, and it just looks it looks so gorgeous. I can't wait for people to uh, see that. 
And I also do a podcast of my own called Sneaky Dragon with my friend David Dedrick. And we have a couple of spinoff podcasts of that where we cover like the Beatles and uh, the Marx Brothers and Tintin. And if you go to SneakyDragon.com, that is where they all are. And I've been on a few of those. And uh, Yeah, thanks. you were great. Thank you. And thanks a lot, Ian. One thing I wanted to ask you, and I wanted to ask you in person, but we're on the podcast, so now everyone can hear the answer. Uh, <laughs> okay. Number one, did you meet Richard Keel? Number two, was he nice? Uh, Richard Keel was not in the scenes that I that Damn I it. did. I'm sorry. No, but I did get to meet briefly Carl Weathers, and he was uh, very pleasant. It seems oh, like you would be. Nice. It seems like you would yeah. be. That's good. Well, thanks again, Ian. You're definitely welcome back for another episode. Would love to come back. Again, it's one of my favorite podcasts, so uh, thanks for doing it. Again, thanks to Ian Boothby for being a guest on the show. Check out uh, Sneaky Dragon. I've been on a few of those with former guest Nina. And also, Sparks is very good. I read that recently, and it's a great little graphic novel, and uh, it's really fun. I enjoyed Sparks it's a lot. It's very cute. Yes. It's really great. Yeah, and Exorcisters, too. I'm a big fan of the artist on that as well, uh, Giselle Legas. Please, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that name. It's, it's, it's a French-Canadian name. Like, but anyway, it's a really great comic, yes. Okay. But as for us, if you want to support our shows and get some bonus stuff on top of that, please go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons. And if you sign up at the five dollar level, you'll get every episode of this podcast and our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, a week ahead of time and ad free. At the five dollar level, we have a ton of bonus podcasts. All of our exclusive miniseries live on that Patreon tier, along with a lot of little mini specials we've done and community podcasts and stuff like that. Our most recent patreon locked podcast is talking of the hill the entire first season of king of the hill with our talking substance treatment we're currently right in the middle of that and you can access everything to date if you sign up right now including other mini series like talking critic and talking futurama and henry we have a ten dollar podcast here called what a cartoon movie where we do a three-hour podcast every month based on a movie the patrons choose can you talk more about our most recent movie that's right if you sign up at the ten dollars and up level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons you could hear april's upcoming movie spot Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And you know that I am a big Spider-Man fan. So you can give that a listen right now. And all of the previous ones and uh, like 18 months worth of $10 and up content right there for you for just $10 or more a month. Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, baby. Don't put baby in your URL. Just uh, Yes, it will take you. I don't know where it will take you, but uh, not our Patreon, which is important. So yes, Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. As for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. Find me on Twitter as Bob servo and i'm also doing some other podcasts like retronauts a classic gaming podcast every monday and occasionally on friday go to retronauts.com or look for retronauts in your podcast device and subscribe to it it'll be fun for all involved henry how about you <laughs> hey i'm henry gilbert and you can follow me on twitter at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g follow me there for all the new information when new podcasts and other content goes live on the patreon and on the free feeds follow me there one more time h-e-n-e-r-e-y Gee. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week for Dumbbell Indemnity. We'll see you then. Can you name the truck with four-wheel drive? Smells like a steak and seats 35. Can you narrow? Can you narrow? Well, it goes real slow with the hammer down. It's the country pride truck endorsed by clown. Can you narrow? Can you Federal Highway Commission has ruled the Canyon Arrow unsafe for highway or city driving. Twelve yards long, two lanes wide, 65 tons of American pride. Canyon Arrow, Canyon Arrow. Top of the line in utility sports. Unexplained fires are a matter for the courts. Canyon Arrow. 
Cagliatero. She blinds everybody with her super high beam. She's a squirrel squasher, deer smacking, driving machine. Cagliatero. Daddy? Now let's poke him a little while longer. Hey, get away from him, you little freaks. Ah!